This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the Monday to you. <laughs> it's Monday morning. Ah, uh, is it a Monday? It is Monday. You know what? I'm not a morning person. You're in the wrong job. I totally am. I'm a non-morning person with a morning show. Blasted. Hey, uh, top of the Monday to you. By the way, it is um, Pearl Harbor Day. Yes. Have you been to Pearl Harbor? I have not. Ben has. Yeah, I have. Ben used to live there. You know what? Beautiful, beautiful place. But man, can you imagine? 3,500 people, roughly, died on this day, 1941. A day that shall be remembered in, Ben? Infamy. Yes. Test of the day. Anyway, um, man, it's a far cry from terrorism day, right? I mean, that was the first real major act of terrorism. 3,500 people dead, 9-11, I guess surpassed that. And uh, then President Obama, you know, took care of a little, had a little discussion with the country, a little fireside discussion. Yeah. You're shaking your head. There, like, there's just criticism that he calls a national address from the Oval Office and all this stuff, and then he, there's nothing new to report. It's just more of a put your arm around the yeah. shoulder, it's hey, okay, we're, we we're doing you. this. We love you. I mean, it's not okay, but we're here. This for is you. what we're doing. I didn't even know there was a broadcast from the Oval Office. Well, some of the networks <laughs> didn't even take it. Man, like yeah. I, I think in, I don't know if NBC. Well, it's because there was a football game. On. Yeah, I think they just went with football. <laughs> yeah, it was a great game. Like, well, hey, it's on our website. We got football on TV. He's just showing the love. Don't think we're not paying attention. People are saying we're not paying attention, but right. we are. Uh, well, it it, it kind of goes to what you've said over the last couple of weeks is the government needs to explain things better. Yeah, they just need to talk, talk to the just people. Just talk to the people. And so that's kind of what I felt like he was I trying to do. Yeah. But, and, I mean, there's nothing new to report. It's not like they're going to announce, you know, 20,000 troops on the ground Monday. And and he reiterated another point we've been making on the show, which is don't hate the Muslim world. Yes. Hate ISIS. But Muslims good. Wonderful, loving, God-fearing people. Hug your neighbor. Meet a Muslim. And you know what Donald Trump had to say? What? He didn't like the podium he was standing at. Oh, Donald. <laughs> Donald. 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 And he goes, that's it? Nothing new? Yeah. It's up with the podium. No, sure. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I-, I thought the curtains were weird. A little odd. <laughs> That was a, that, he's only I, done a couple Oval the, Office You're addresses. in the Oval Office. Why not sit behind the desk? Oh, yeah. That's why, where I would sit. Why sit? Why, why go around to some podium type thing and stand there? Why not sit behind your desk? Yeah. Well, sometimes you look fat when you're sitting. That's what Ben tells me. He says, Matt, you look a little fat when you're sitting. That desk chunks you up. You get all chunky. <laughs> it's because your body compresses. You look skinny. He's really like, you know. Do you think he slou- Do you pres- think he kind of slouches President in his chair? President Obama's about three hundred pounds, but when he stands up, he looks skinny. It as It all rail. stretches out. So, <laughs> all right. 
So people don't know that about him. Just letting you know, a little secret. Hey, uh, President Carter, cancer-free. How cool is that? I mean, that's 90 years old, had brain cancer, and I guess cancer-free. Beat that. Okay. I've been wanting to talk about this since Friday. You may have heard it in the news. Bronco Mendenhall. We are losing. Okay, BYU is losing a coach. I get that. Wonderful man. Love him on the show. But worse, the Matt Townsend show is losing a correspondent. Did she could join us by phone? Oh, Holly Mendenhall. Come on. What about Holly? No one's talking about Holly. Yeah. They're all talking about Bronco. Bronco's leaving to go to the University of Virginia. And when, he, when that was announced, I thought, that is perfect. Couldn't be farther from Provo. It's a really a non-football school, you know. They don't have a huge reputation of being a football powerhouse. Yeah. They've had years where they're yeah. okay. Well, sure. Everyone knows. Yeah. He's got an opportunity to build something. Even Marshall, right? Marshall's threw, threw had its a, day. They threw a, year, a couple right. of years together. But he's going there. I mean, and it's a beautiful place. Holly loves history. Holly loves to take her kids out. This is going to be a cool thing for the Mendenhall family. Not to mention some money. A lot of money. Yeah. I didn't want to mention it. <laughs> so it's quite a bit of money. It's really cool for them. Yeah. Sad day for BYU. Now you got to go find a coach. This is also going to be a really interesting moment for BYU fans. Why? Well, because Bronco, at least you know what you had. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had your nine and three or what was it? You know. Nine and three wins a year, whatever. Yeah, it was kind of a. But it was guaranteed, pretty much. It was pretty solid. It's happening every year. Well, I think that may continue. Well, we'll see, won't we? They'll still have Wagner's to play. We'll see, won't we? <laughs> we'll see. That's the scary thing, because they'll, I, I they'll still a lot have of fans. They'll think still it's have guaranteed. the games. The games that people look forward to that they'll more than likely lose as has been the track history of the last few years. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have all the games they should win, and they'll win those, and they play those at home. Well, I know, but you still have to also win. They won two of the games they maybe weren't going to win, right? They had had some teams this year that were hard, and they won two of the four. Nebraska. Really lucky, lucky, lucky doesn't matter. One, win, W, W. Okay. It's a win. It's okay. You still got to win. Hail Mary. It's kind of lucky. W. (laughs) You still got to win them. It'll be interesting because now all of a sudden, ooh, all these people that were like, mm, we could do better than Bronco. Hmm. Now they got to go do better than Bronco. And the pool's not a big pool. No. And that's what's weird. There's, there's, there's all these limiting factors. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. We'll talk to BYU Sports Nation about that later today. But uh, before we go any further, let's, uh, let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Thanks, Matt. Addressing the nation four days after the shooting in San Bernardino, California, had unnerved Americans, President Obama pledged Thursday that the homeland would be protected and urged Congress to take action on several fronts. He talked to the nation last night. The threat from terrorism is real, but we will overcome it. We will destroy ISIL and any other organization that tries to harm us. Our success won't depend on tough talk or abandoning our values or giving in to fear. That's what groups like ISIL are hoping for. Instead, we will prevail by being strong and smart, resilient and relentless, and by drawing upon every aspect of American power. 
At the same time, President Obama asked Americans not to turn against Muslim friends and neighbors and turn the conflict with ISIS into a war against Islam. In an interview with an Italian newspaper, La Stampa, Syed Farouk, his father, said that his son supported the creation of the Islamic State. His father also said that Farouk was negatively obsessed with the existence of Israel and that he once tried to console his son by saying that Israel would not exist in another two years because Jews would be would rather return they would return to Ukraine. That's wow. what he was trying to tell his son. Farouk and his wife uh, Tafshin Malik were killed by police after they shot and killed 14 people in San Bernardino. Holy cow. So he the, the kid was uh, Farouk was obsessed with Israel and his father calmed him down by saying all the Jews are going to go back to Ukraine anyway, so don't worry about it. He's just making something up to kind of settle his kid down. <laughs> a new U.S. intelligence report on ISIS commissioned by the White House predicts that the self-proclaimed Islamic State will spread worldwide and grow in numbers unless it suffers a significant loss in territory on the battlefield in Iraq and Syria, U.S. officials told the news website The Daily Beast. The report stands in stark contrast to earlier White House assurances that ISIS had been contained in Iraq and Syria and is already spurring challenge, uh, changes in how the U.S. grapples with ISIS, the, this official said. It also, an admission that the coalition's efforts so far dropping thousands of bombs and deploying 3,500 U.S. troops as well as other coalition trainers have been outpaced by ISIS's ability to expand and attract new followers. Mm. So there is a, uh, a step up there with uh, the intensity. It's not just a, uh, a friendly action anymore. It's, yeah. there, there's something. This may go beyond what the steps that Obama was talking about last night during the speech. It may turn into a more of a military action. Um, in other news... We talked about Jimmy Carter. He says his cancer is gone. He's t- he, he makes these announcements in That's... Sunday school at his church. Oh, really? He doesn't have a press conference. He goes to teach his Sunday school class that he teaches every Can you every imagine Sunday. how intimidating that would be? Yeah. I taught Sunday school yesterday, and if I had like press corps showing up to— The church, they love it because when he teaches, it, oh, you yeah. know, attendance is through Then the you roof. pass the plate around, and holy cow, yeah. you're cashing in. Except when he shows up, the press shows up, and he says he's cancer-free. Oh, that's— He had—there were some experimental treatments he was doing, and they they found that the, the cancer from his liver is is gone. Man. So good for him. Yes. Also, college uh, bowl playoff semifinals will match Alabama— and Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl, then Clemson and Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. That's on December 31st. The winners of those games will meet a week later, January 11th, for the national championship game in Glendale, Arizona. Aren't we moving to an eight-game tournament sometime? Wasn't People what? hope so. It seems like that'd be more fun for the kind of the rest of the country. Possibly. You know, that aren't... From those specific schools? The perennial yeah. four. Or in Alabama, since they're there every year. <laughs> but, cool. That'll be my New Year's. And the Patriots lost again. That was funny. That was great. Did you see that pass where Tom Brady went out as receiver? Yeah. That's amazing. Sure. He's he slow, better be but... careful. They, did you see the, the de- defensive backs were gunning on him? Oh, they wanted to hit him. Oh, yeah. You're, you're just, open target out there. Just out of bounds. Cool stuff. Football. What a great time of year. Um. As Mondays, you know, as we do, we're going to be coming back talking politics with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us, joining us in studio. Again, just going to pick his brain. All things political, folks. Stick with us, doing what we can to give you the information you need to know. What's really going on? What should we watch out for? And uh, what questions, you know, can Joe Cannon enlighten us on when it comes to uh, politics? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back, helping you find the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we always try to help you, uh, you know, become or stay, depending on your state of being, informed when it comes to the political world. And there's so many things going on with, uh, in January, we'll be starting to get into the Iowa caucuses, find out what's, I mean, the whole presidential race kicks in, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, um, so we always like to bring in our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, joins us. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that is trying to help you lower fuel costs in the United States. He was a past uh, chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was also a candidate for the U.S. Senate, and served in Reagan's administration uh, under the EPA. Um, and uh, it was a, he's been an editor. He's Joe Cannon, he's done pretty much everything. Joe, welcome to the show. You've done everything. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Matt. You're like uh, you know. a, you're like the Renaissance man. At, at least I'm hoping my wife and mother are listening to you. Right I, now. Yeah, I bet I bet they're probably sleeping. They're they're taking a little. They're nap. the only ones who believe it. That's right. That's exactly right. They love you. Hey, Joe. Um, okay, I wanted to talk to you about a bunch of stuff, but San uh, San Bernardino, huge issue, right? And uh, one of the things that came out of that whole San Bernardino, everybody wants a, a response from these politicians. A lot of the politicians are saying our hopes, our prayers are with you, San Bernardino. And then there was the the I think it was the New York Times. Was the Daily News? I think was the Daily News. I think it was the Daily News, right? But and it, all of a sudden they're coming down, basically saying, "Look, we need fewer of your prayers. We need some solutions." Basically, prayer shaming. Right. What do you think of that? I mean. I get it. I mean, I get people want progress. They, we have a sh- mass shooting, and then everyone comes out with their "We're praying for you." But it seems like we don't, we shouldn't be taking on people's. Well, prayers. you know, that's just a, a a glimpse at the vast cultural divide between a lot of the elites and a lot of the regular people. I mean, one of the most iconic pictures of George Washington is of him praying right, in, uh, in Valley Forge. And you've got, uh, you know, every president, literally every president, uh, maybe even sometimes President Obama, but for sure there are powerful um, statements calling for prayer mm. in term, times of national uh, crisis. So, so George Washington prayed and called on people to pray and fast. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln called on people to pray and fast. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, especially later in life, you know, toward the end, his prayers were all rooted and steeped in this deep belief uh, in God, and uh, that's where most Americans are. Yeah, you know, so most yeah. of, most Americans pray. The, I, I think the 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 craziest part of it, besides prayer shaming, is to in, in effect. And it wasn't just that that headline. There, right. there were you know thousands of tweets mm-hmm. after that from some some from pretty prominent folks, uh, also kind of repeating that. But it's like setting up a a structure where well, it's one or the other. Yeah, which either is, or is actually insane. I mean, most Christian beliefs, and, and for all I know, other other people who pray, it's not just Christians, but but for sure a deep embedded Christian 
belief is you get on your knees and pray like everything depends on you, yeah. and then you get up and work. work. Like, I mean, you get up right. down on your knees and pray like everything depends on God, then you get up and work like everything depends on you. That's a, t- a pure Martin right. Luther, uh, and that's not a straying from Catholicism. In other words, that sentiment, I think, pretty much captures people who pray. So, so it was a false dichotomy mm-hmm. to start with, and and really, it it was it's like pretending that a couple hundred, 300 years plus of American history just didn't exist. Oof, just disappeared. Yeah. You know. But in a way, isn't it? It's also just the beginning, really, of they're not saying do anything. They're saying gun control. Well, yeah. Another, another aspect of this whole thing is, okay, do what? So there are plenty of discussions by on both sides of people. I, you know, commentators say, well, what you should do is you should buy more guns. And then, of course, other people, yeah. the people who who don't seem to think praying is very significant, are saying, well, we need to do something about guns. So, and what's what's true is is that that's a deeply embedded uh, belief in the country in the whole notion of the right. Uh, the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, which has been repeatedly yeah. reinforced by no, none other than the United States Supreme Court. Right. So, so that, uh, and you know, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing. I'm, I, you know, I'm not a, a particular gun guy, but I will say, the places in this country that have the worst gun violence happen also to have the, the most strict the strictest laws. laws, including California, right. by the way. Right. But you look at the cities, Chicago, uh, New York, uh, Washington, D.C., high gun crime, mm-hmm. uh, high uh, strict gun control. So, you know, it's this, it's this cliche, but cliches are cliches because they have some root in truth. Clinton comes out, though, and, and has a, a statement about we got we to gotta do something about violence and guns. And, but, uh. but in a way, aren't, isn't everybody just playing to their constituency? At, at the end, that's what's happening. We have a very divided culture. Mm-hmm. And so you've got people sending messages out. So, you know, immediately, I just heard this morning on the news that after the president's speech, Rand Paul immediately tweets out, you know, saying, no, gun control isn't the answer. And, and uh, so, yeah, every – I mean, we are, we are a, quite a divided yeah. country. Do you think that – um, you always bring up the fact that uh, who is it? Um, oh, Hillary is going to have to get her base out. Like, right. like President Obama won because he was able to move his people to right. to go vote. Do you think that you know uh, arguments about religion, arguments about prayer? I mean, pushing gun issues is that not going to just stir the GOP base and bring out? I mean, these are good arguments for the GOP to be having because it's going to stir. Their base, right? The um, and that's exactly what every candidate did. You know, yeah. Over the last couple of weeks, has, has been uh, you know, like you say, connect trying to connect with their base. Uh, and yeah, the 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 Republican base is the Pew studies. I looked at this over the weekend in preparation today, but the Pew studies show that you know if if you're 
a weekly church attender, a daily prayer, the chance of you being a Republican is very high. Very high. If you're in, if you're in the other side of things, the chance that you're a Democrat aside. Now, that's not to say I have plenty of Democratic friends who yeah. pray every day right. and go to go to church. Yeah. I'm not saying that, but they're but, not all infidels. But, is that what you're saying? No, not they're saying? not. They're <laughs> okay. not at all. Yeah. I've, I've often said uh, yeah, I've had re- Republicans, very conservative Republicans, tell me, you, you know, God is on our side, and I've said, look, even as chairman of the Republican Party, I've said. God is not a Republican. He's yeah. not a Democrat yeah. either, but he's not, yeah. you know, he's not a Republican so, or a Democrat. He's not. He's but not. as it happens, the religiosity, the, the center of gravity uh, for the conservatives is more religious yeah. than the religiosity of the people on the, on the left. And that's just a fact. So if, if these issues continue past the primary into the general election, and if we're talking gun control— and gun legislation. I mean, and they're they're always saying what are they? The phrase that is used a lot by President Obama is common sense gun laws. Right. Does that with who who does that favor as far as stirring their base? Um, you'll hear in the general. Yeah, in the general election, you'll hear uh, Secretary Clinton never mentioned gun control. She won't go near it. Going to happen. That's the third rail. Uh, yeah, I mean, for you know, to to connect with the base, to make sure you're at the base. I mean, she might give you know an obligatory speech yeah. in, in some place, but not. But it's not going to be a big campaign plank because it, it can't be. Mm-hmm. Look, look, in in uh, gun control laws never pass Congress, and not just because of Republicans. A huge. I, I remember. It's just a huge incident in my life. Uh, there's a, a very important congressman named uh, uh, John Dingell, mm-hmm. one of the most powerful congressmen, chairman of one of the most powerful committees, deeply liberal, union, pro-union guy. And I just remember having to testify before him. And we met before, and this is when I was at EPA. And he's a big, tall guy. So he's a yeah. foot taller than I am almost. And so I'm looking directly at his tie bar, oh my which heavens. is NRA. You know, so you powerful Democrats, not just Southern. This is from Michigan. He, wow. He goes from Michigan. A powerful Democrats for whom gun control is a pretty, pretty uh, gun well, yeah, Even Bernie Sanders keeps getting cornered by the well, And that's why history. Hillary is bringing it up. Mm-hmm. The, only, so the one place she can get to the left of Bernie Sanders is on guns. So that's why you hear a lot about it. And that's why you're not going to hear very much about Interesting. it. Interesting, uh, Because all those states that are, are, are uh, key swing states, they're all pro-gun states. Ta- talk about uh, the polls, because Trump is Trump's still rising, according to CNN. He's twenty points ahead of his next competitor. Yeah, I know. His, um, I, it, I, I know. I'm, I try to be nonpartisan here and try to be <laughs> be fair on both sides, and I think I am. I think I'm pretty bilingual yeah. on this, but I think it would be a disaster of unimaginable proportion if the Republicans <laughs> were somehow to, uh, you know, Hillary beats Trump. And that's more, that's more important. The, the only person she doesn't beat is Marco Rubio, but hard, but but Rubio's he, he's not known that much. Yeah, yeah. With Trump and Hillary, you've got two totally known people. Okay, yeah. So there's no place for either of them to go. Right. It, it's not like Trump is going to somehow change his image. She beats him. Uh, so the Republicans are just you know going to commit suicide if they if they nominate Trump. Well, they, apparently they're they're not 
they're not planning on that because Kasich, I guess his super PAC is emerging as the GOP's anti-Trump machine. What do you think of that? Yeah, and why um, would anyone – why would anybody's super PAC be the sacrificial lamb? Well uh, – not, it's not just obligatory to point out that okay. the candidates don't control yeah, their yeah, super yeah, PACs. Yeah, right. and so just to be fair on that, so you got a lot of people who support Kasich who think, like what I just said, that, that Somebody's Trump would be something. a disaster. Someone has to do something. The question is how effective can it be because right. it's it's almost like uh, anti-kryptonite. Like when, when <laughs> whatever do, what doesn't kill us strengthens us. Yeah. But it's whatever – anytime anybody says anything bad about Trump, it's, that just reinforces no, the people who advantage. like him. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, we're right. See, the That's establishment right. doesn't like that well, guy. Well, then it allows him to throw some dirty punches or whatever and yeah. then it goes nowhere. Yeah. And uh, – well, it goes up so far. Yeah. yeah it, no, it so drives far, him nothing up. has uh, – now, I still think that there's a ceiling there. E- even yeah. in the CNN poll, uh, you, you look at the overall um, averages and he's still bumping up slightly below 30 on, on all of the polls. And and um, but it's uh, you know he's way ahead in Iowa. He's way way ahead in uh, in New Hampshire. The, the first two big chances yeah. to ratify his candidate status. And so we'll just see. Like you said, I mean, I think it's February first is the, it's right away is, um, is uh, Iowa, and then less a week later, a little I guess ten days later is the uh, is New Hampshire, but. Uh, <laughs> now, I think the really interesting thing is happening. Okay, if you if you you know about the two economists, they're on a desert island, they're starving, and a and a big crate of tuna fish, canned tuna fish, sh- washes up ashore, and they look at it, you know, and the one one looks at the other and says, first we assume a can opener. Well, if you assume that somehow or other Trump is going to fade, just if yeah. you assume that, uh, the real fascinating thing that's going on now is between Cruz and Rubio. It's a, it's who's a, gonna, it's a three who's gonna get the tuna right now if Trump yeah, fades. Yeah. So isn't that? I mean, let, let's do. Let's come back and talk about that because there's going to have to be. He's got certain followers, right? He and one of them might seem more strong. One might seem more conservative. Uh, I want to come back. We'll continue this discussion with Joe Cannon. Continue discussing uh, all things political, folks. Our Washington insider Joe Cannon will be with us. From uh, he's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can find out more about. His efforts, their efforts there to uh, decrease your fuel costs here in the United States by going to fuelfreedom.org. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, who's uh, just here every Monday to have me pick his brain. Because I don't know. I just listen to the news. What do they know? Joe, though, is um, is uh, he is an insider. He's He's been a Re- Utah Republican Party chair. He's run for Senate. He's been in uh, Reagan's administration. He's done a lot, and he's he's been in the, the media business, the newspaper business. So... Joe, uh, whether you love it or not, you are the insider, and uh, at least on your show, that's yeah, right. That's right. Well, you are because you go then you go back to D.C. and you talk to all these people. Hey, um, one of the things we were talking about in the break is the fact that 
you know, a lot of, you know, McCain didn't succeed. He's seen as kind of too liberal, too moderate, I guess, of a of a Republican. Romney didn't succeed, seen as too moderate, too liberal of a Republican, I guess. Now you can go back to Dole also, by the way. Dole, by the, the 90s, way, exactly. Yeah. And so there was always this push that you need more conservative, more conservative. And lo and behold, you now have Ted Cruz and Rubio who are kind of – they're conservative. They're Tea Party or upbringing. Mm-hmm. They, they both – ran against the establishment in two of the biggest states in the country. And you, know, you can go back and look at headlines when this Rubio young guy, Speaker of the House in Florida is running against the governor. You know, That's right. Chris, That's right. Republican governor. And, you know, none of the, quote, establishment, close quote, uh, supported him or Cruz. But both they both ran against establishment candidates and they both won. So it's it's a little bit ludicrous now for people to be talking about, well, if you support Rubio, you must be establishment. Yeah. Uh, it's like, no, this is Orwellian. You've got the two most conservative candidates since Ronald Reagan in terms of leading. Yeah. You've had plenty of conservatives uh, running over that time. And now the with definitively the two, at least political, it's, right. we're taking Trump out for the time, time being, uh, the two most – the two strongest candidates are both Tea Party candidates. Well, Kasich, all these others are dropping. I mean, the, the real kind of more moderates are dropping out, yeah. or not dropping out of the race, but they're falling. But you've also then you throw Carson in there, and you throw Trump in there. The top four leaders, yeah. Vote, I mean, poll wise, are you know uber conservative. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. I I I I really don't like to say Trump is a conservative. No. I, I don't think Trump has any. Ideological, philosophical gyroscope. Yeah, he'll go so, where. Yeah. So, he's, so I don't really put him in there, but for, but but I guess he but plays. He, the, he but plays he's to definitely that. playing the yeah. conservative card, right? Yeah, so, he's, so yeah. is um, so in the end, though it it probably it seems like if Trump were to go down, who picks up more of Trump's followers? So I think Cruz does. I think because Trump's core. Uh, issue is immigration. Every, everything else is just, I'm not them. I'm not the mm-hmm. establishment. I'm not politically correct. And he just says whatever he, whatever he says on yeah. that. But the core issue that really got him jump-started was immigration. And uh, as between Cruz and Rubio, uh, Rubio would be perceived as softer on immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of that Isn't, <laughs> Trump support goes to Cruz. There seems to be a strange irony here where the Republicans could possibly put a Cruz or a Rubio, Hispanic, you know, descendants, two, two Hispanic immigrants. But they, <laughs> but one of them is very the strongest position on immigration, second, I guess, only to Trump. Yeah. And and Rubio, who is a little bit more pro-immigration. Yet, so what happens? Let's say you get Rubio or a Cruz in there. Could they ever turn the Hispanic vote? Well, or are they already too yeah. ideologically opposed to immigration that they've already offended the Hispanic vote? So I think Rubio wins with Hispanic. Now, win is a relative. Yeah. You know, if, if you get 40, 45, 50 percent of Hispanic vote, that's a huge mm-hmm. victory. I think Rubio could do that. 
And I don't think Cruz would. I think Cruz drives people away. And I'm just talking to people I know who Hispanic, mm-hmm. regular Hispanic I, people. And that's who, a Texas senator, yeah, too. Yeah. Which would be a huge uh, – where, where a yeah, lot because, of the voting yeah, would take because, place. Yeah, because uh, uh, the Hispanic vote is very important. And, and it's not so rigid in Texas. He would make it a little more rigid. Mm. Uh, so I think – so his immigration posture really helps him to get the nomination, but it will hurt and maybe fatally hurt in a, in a in general. Uh, general election. This is so – it's just such a tangled web, right? Because yeah. – and then, and then Jeb Bush, whose wife is Hispanic and he's fluid in Spanish and incredible. He's gone. I mean he's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. Is there any shot for Jeb coming back? I mean, I guess in a, in well, a convention. You know, you, you just don't know. Most people believe that there couldn't be a real brokered convention again. But there are some who think, well, you know, just assume Trump holds on to his core group, but it's still only a third. A third, yeah. Uh, and then you've got everybody else divided up there. Maybe you do have a brokered convention, but all of the delegates there are going to be to the right of where Bush is perceived to be. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see if there is such a thing that that helps Bush. Um, it's a, this is just, and we're just getting started. Well, what you're seeing, you know, in conservative publications and, and dialogue out, out there is that uh, you've got two conservative political conservatives uh a lot of them are trying to figure, okay, well, look, we want to win. Which one of these guys has the most likelihood of winning? Yeah. And when you ask that question, lots of people saying, you know what? I, I, I'm not settling for Rubio. Rubio is actually affirmatively good for me, except maybe on one issue. I don't, I don't mean me personally. Yeah, yeah, but for, the, I, for that. Uh, I disagree with Cruz on immigration, just for whatever yeah. that's worth. But, uh, yeah, so – so there's all this rumbling back and forth. Okay, how do we? How did this, this is the conservative movement split itself out? And a lot of them are trying to figure out how to move toward Rubio. Yeah, is is what's going on? Do you sense on the Democrat Democratic side? Is I mean, Hillary's gaining. It seems like a little. She bit. owns it. Well, she already owns it. And yeah. that fact is, you actually, what's happening on her on on her uh, uh, campaign is. The same thing that all the Republicans hope happens on their side, and that is, okay, we dated uh, Bernie. We like Bernie. Yeah. Bernie's our, our emo- uh, you know, emotional uh, – we love Bernie, yeah. but yeah. we want to win too. And Bernie's not ever going to be president of the United States. So get behind. So, so, so I think her support is hardening up pretty fast. Do you, do you sense that they keep releasing more of her emails? I guess they have two more batches of emails to release, and then they're all done. Do you sense anything's going to come of that? I mean, the FBI director is one of the most, I guess, like non-political, you know, G-men. He's not political. And, you know, it's, gonna, it's hard for me to see how she gets indicted. And, and I think that's the only thing that would really upset it. Uh, yeah, upset her apple cart. However, <laughs> there is grist in all of those emails for hundreds of 30-second spots uh, that uh, could be pretty devastating just politically. Yeah, and so you just keep bombarding. When the ad wars begin, uh, there's, there's, there, there are a lot of 30-second spots in those emails. Man, it, uh, to me, that just seems like oh. – the last thing I want is to go back to 
you know, Monica Gate or whatever they used to call it, and just more and more trials and I don't know, just investigations and yeah, waiting yeah. and that's all we need. Hey, um, what what else are we missing? What else is going on politically that we need to be paying attention to? Well, uh, it's not politically here, but uh, I, th- I think her name is Marie Le Pen, mm-hmm. is the daughter of a famous, ferocious, uh, as extreme right wing politician in France. She's picking up quite She's a bit getting of support. A lot of her, support. Her party is picking up quite a bit of support in after these, those terrorist acts. Yeah, all of a yeah. sudden, so, immigration and, and, shut and, down and, the borders, and that's and that's that's always been Le Pen's pitch. Uh, her father, and now it's her pitch, and also I guess she has a niece, yeah. a, a granddaughter of the senior Le Pen, and and she's a politician, and they're both, you know, doing disproportionately well in France, and I think that that's a similar base mm-hmm. that uh, is really liking Trump these days. And you heard what happened in uh, the UK with the knife attacker. Did you hear about him? Right, right. That they're now saying he was trying to behead the person. Yeah, and, and so. Obviously, a terrorist attack, kind of ISIS-driven. Do you? Wh- where do you see this taking us? I mean, the president had to address the country. He felt because of fear. Where is this going to take us politically over the next year? I mean, it seems like terrorism is going to become a, a major issue. Well, it, it, in the political it, yeah, debate, it is a major issue, and I think it's going to get to be more of a major issue, which is why you see candidate Clinton uh, being. A little more, a little more tough yeah. than the president on in in her statement. So she's she's obviously recognizing that that's going to be a, a deeply salient issue, and and I don't see that changing. And we right. always say, well, it's you know it's a less than a year now till the actual elections. A lot of things will change, and there will be things that'll change. But this is this can really only get worse. Just say there's oh. one or two more attacks. It doesn't matter where they are. You know they're going to be in Berlin. They're yeah. going to be in in Paris, London. We already know, and then in the U.S. And if they can happen in San Bernardino, they can happen in Des Moines. They can happen That's in, so in true, any huh? in any uh, 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 very you know not big political public space like Washington or New York or L.A. Does. Tell me why everybody – now we just heard an announcement that Trump's going to be going to Israel to meet with Netanyahu. Um, tell me why Israel <clears throat> wields so much power. I mean I know, I know you, you understand it and are very pro-Israel and what, why, why so much power? So Trump's strategy is to uh, get the hardcore Republican constituencies there, of which there are several – and uh, a, but a very big one, particularly in Iowa, is uh, evangelical religious Christian voters, and they are the strongest of all the subsets, even including Jews. If you if you look at polls of of Jewish Americans and Christian evangelical Americans, there's a much deeper center of gravity, pro-Israel center of gravity, and among those evangelical really? Christians. So, so he's not going over there for the he's Jewish go- vote. He's yeah. going over there for the Christian evangelical vote. Because did you hear him when he addressed the Republican Jewish coalition? I, you know, I, I didn't hear him, but yeah, he's. You've got to go listen to the audio yeah. for that because every a bunch of them addressed them, and one by one. They were the most offensive. <laughs> like one of them said, I just happened to last night have watched Schindler's List. And you're like, oh, I, I, I didn't hear it, but I read a lot about it. Clear, total pandering. <laughs> and I have 
quite good friends in the Republican Do Jewish Coalition. It didn't wash. I, I bet it did. It did not wash. Well, Donald, but like is I even, say, he's not going after no, their no, vote. That's, that makes it, sense. Yeah, now. He, I was, I was he, thinking because he was even saying, "I know you're not going to vote for me. I know I'm not going to get your vote." Yeah, but I'm going to get uh, the evangelical pastor's vote. That's exactly in, what he's in doing. Tiffin, Iowa. That's where that's where he's going. He's going. He's trying to win Iowa yeah, by doing yeah. the Jewish. Um, Coalition, Republican Jewish Coalition. But he would say something. I mean, look, we're everyone in this room, we're all good negotiators. He's saying to all the Jewish so, people, yeah. I'm thinking, you just sat there and offended them, and did you yeah. even know you were offending? Well, of course, Trump appears not to care whether he offends, but he true. may not actually care. But as I say, his pitch to the RJC was not about the, the very thin – Jewish Republican vote right, is a right. pretty small <laughs> segment. But the biggest segment of the primary voters, especially the states he cares about, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Iowa and South Carolina, are going to be deep evangelical lovers of Israel mm-hmm. in general. And it's hard to overstate. If they could vote for Netanyahu for president of the United States – he would win. He'd win. <laughs> oh, that would really get yeah. Obama mad. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, so, so that's where Trump's going. Now, and why? So, just as a as a novice, why for me? Why? Why would? Why is the GOP so pro Israel, but they get so few votes from Jewish followers? Well, that may be changing. You know, I spent a lot of my time in the with in the Jewish community and. Uh, there's a core constituency of, of uh, Republican Jews, but it's very small. Yeah. You know, uh, all manner of books and articles have been written about this, but but the answer is is the core ideology of the so-called Jewish vote was formed pretty much by immigrants, then through the. Uh, uh, Roosevelt administration, a deep, a deeply held Jewish principle is doing good, charitable, charitable right, right. philanthropy, and 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 so you know the perception is is that the Democrat philosophy Interesting. Uh, embraces that more. So they're very often, and it's because there's a growing cleavage in the Jewish community about people who support Israel. You know, you know my oldest. One of my oldest, oldest friends, going back to junior high school, uh, is a very major leader in the um, liberal uh, Jewish side of things, and you know he he thinks Netanyahu's insane. Does he? Uh, you know, and, and that describes lots of people on uh, on, on the, the leftward left. side of, of uh, the Jewish vote. So. Yeah, like I said, the Jewish vote is much more split on Israel than the Christian evangelical vote. That's it. So that's who he's going after. Yeah. I was trying to figure out why is he going there. Well, we appreciate you, Joe. Uh, anything else we need to worry about? Anything Anything else coming up in your life? You're a new grandpa. <laughs> new for grandpa. The, well, yeah, for the that's a, 15th uh, time or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many is 17th it? time. 17th yeah, time. 17, yeah. So you're, still, you're getting sleep. Is your wife back home? So we're all together. The grandkids are back in their home, good. and yeah, we're we're all at peace in our house now. Well, good. Well, Although we love those kids. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you or talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks, Joe Cannon. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, fighting to, for, to lower your costs of fuel here in the United States. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, when you think about it, you know, so Donald Trump has to go to Israel to visit with Netanyahu to win the Iowa caucus so that because the evangelicals will like that. Isn't that amazing? That's what we have to do to win the presidency of the United States. Let's go get to Israel. And also the tangled web, man, between Cruz and Rubio. How interesting is that? Remember, they are the more conservative wing of the GOP. And they're now, you know, in in second place to Trump. And who knows? And Carson. So if you think about it, Carson's very conservative. Cruz, very conservative. Rubio, more conservative. They keep trying to say that he's he's more of the establishment Except according to Joe, he, you know, he went in and had to crack some heads. He went in and had to fight basically as a Tea Partier. So if you're sitting there thinking that the Tea Party is dead, well, its candidates sure aren't. They're at the top of the polls in the GOP. Then the question is, can a, a, a real ultra conservative go in and take on Hillary? Can that happen? Is that going to happen? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. We'll have to see on that. Interesting stuff. But uh, again, uh, our you know our prayers go out to President Carter. How cool is that? He's uh, that's so great, and he's a very you know faith believing man, and he's cancer free. He had cancer in the liver and in the brain that had spread to the brain. Supposedly, there's no sign of it in the brain or the liver, I guess. So whatever he did, that sure worked. You know, when it comes to politics. Are you? Can you imagine a whole other year of this? It's just. But hopefully, in the next few months, you'll start to see something happen. You'll start see seeing people actually get their heads wrapped around it. Maybe you know. Again, if you love Trump, he's he's killing it. There is that belief that he probably can't grab more than a third, and it maybe that just simply is because no one's in the game yet. That maybe when he gets in the game, he'll be able to get 50% or more. When everyone starts jumping in and starts paying attention, or maybe everyone will start to choose a candidate that they think might do better against Hillary Clinton. And again, is it to Hillary's advantage to sit there without any real opposition? Does it just allow her to go fundraise? Is that all she's going to be doing? Or is she going to get weak? That's all she needs to do. She needs to stay in shape. She needs to go take on some debates, just do a little private debating. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, that's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We do the, pol- the political e- section so that you can you know, stay in tune, stay informed. Try to do it as nonpartisan as we can. Everyone has opinions, but just trying to bring you the information you need to grow healthier, to lead the life you need to lead. We'll take a break, folks. Come back for a whole new hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Hello. Top of the morning to you. 
Happy Pearl Harbor Day. A day, uh, I mean, when you think about it, probably the biggest attack ever, second, I guess, to 9-11. But imagine the, the unthinkable. An attack on naval base, a naval base where no one was expecting it. In fact, and Ben, you lived in Hawaii. What's uh, what's National Pearl Harbor Day like in Hawaii? It's it's big. You have like you talk about it throughout school a lot, and like there's like a theme throughout school where you do you get out of school? No, you go to school. You got to go to school. Yeah. This is the deal. 3,500 Americans lost their lives and were wounded on that solemn day uh, in 1941, 20, uh, killing 2,403 American non-combatants and injuring 1,178 others. Wow. The attack sank two U.S. Navy battleships, damaged five others. It also damaged three cruisers, three destroyers, and one mine layer. Aircraft losses were 188 airplanes destroyed, 159 damaged. I mean, they depleted the fleet, right? That was the goal. They depleted. Here are some facts that you may not know about Pearl Harbor. Most battleships sunk that day were resurrected. So they didn't all just, you know, they didn't all, they were eventually raised and repaired and returned to the U.S. Navy's fleet. The USS West Virginia, USS California had both sunk completely, but the Navy raised them and repaired them and reused them. It's amazing. By the way, and you know this, Ben, probably better than anybody, there's a lot of fuel still leaking. Out of uh, the USS Arizona still leaks fuel to this day. It took a full load of fuel, nearly 1.5 million gallons were on board the USS Arizona, and now that's just kind of been leaking out over time. Yeah, if you go to the monument, there like the water's all you can like see like that, a sheen, that rainbow color. Yeah. You know, that's amazing. Um, veterans that were that were on, I guess, base during Pearl Harbor can be laid to rest. Those who served, for example, above the USS Arizona during the attack can go back, and and when they pass, they can have uh, they can be laid to rest at Pearl Harbor, which would be an incredible honor, wouldn't it? That is a very solemn place. When you go out on that little monument, it is it's just sacred. And you sit there and again, it's 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 like the 9/11 memorial. That's what we always equate everything to because we live in that time. But man, I remember grandparents, uh that was the biggest event ever. Service members stationed in Hawaii took care of the memorial during 2013 government shutdown. You remember when everything shut down? Then the service members there, what a great line, listen to this. Uh, the the message to all veterans, they said, because they had to go rake the weed and take the weeding and mow the overgrown uh, monument and take care of the grass. But uh, the veterans that were there said, we haven't forgotten about you. We will not forget about you. Many, by the way, tourists from Japan come to visit the memorial every day. And interestingly, a baby girl's remains still lie entombed within the sunken battleship. Uh, a crew member of the USS Utah had been storing an urn containing his daughter's ashes in his locker on board their boat, their ship, planning to scatter them at sea, but the December 7th attack prevented him from doing so. Sixty-four men died aboard the USS Utah that day, and many of their bodies remain entombed within its sunken hull. The baby girl who had died at birth was finally honored at a funeral at the USS Utah Memorial at Pearl Harbor in 2003. 
that's an interesting story. And uh, one other kind of environmental uh, tragedy, I guess, with the whole thing. <clears throat> There's about 5 million gallons of spilled fuel with approximately 20 acres or 15 football fields in size of oil at the base of Pearl Harbor. Just, you know, it's it's an environmental disaster, uh, which is about half the volume of the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska. Crazy. So again, we pay tribute to those that were lost uh, during Pearl Harbor. Today's also letter writing day. When was the last time you wrote a letter, Terry? Like physically grabbed a piece of paper, hmm. a little pencil. Dear Judy. A while ago. I mean, I, I write letters, you know, my wife, like I'm not here. <laughs> I mean, she knows that. but You don't even text that anymore? No. Well, I guess I would now. She has a better phone, so. Yeah, now she can. Before, her phone was ridiculous, so we just wrote letters to each other. Wow, it was a bad phone. It was bad. It was a really bad phone. So. Uh, it's also Cotton Candy Day. Hmm. Which is just fluffy, sugary air. Yeah, doesn't that sound good? Not really. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. There you go. Thank you. Does it still sound good? That's my imitation of Donald Trump, right? No, it's. I think it was a statement about yourself. Yeah, you were talking about you that day. I think it was Trump. I think I was. Yeah, I thought I was imitating Donald Trump. Mm, interesting. Uh, cotton candy. I'm not a big fan. It no. raises my sugar levels. Right. And then it makes it so I can't have as many potato chips. Mmm. Mmm. Got to balance your diet. So, are you a sugar guy or a, or a a salt guy? So, if you go to your snack, do you prefer a sugary snack or a salty snack? Probably salty. Me too. Salty, Ben. Sugary. Really? He's a, he's a little kid, though. That's why he makes ice cream. Yeah. He's yeah. mad that I didn't eat his ice cream yet. He made me ice cream last Friday. It's still here. It's here, but I didn't. I haven't eaten it. I forgot. I'm not used to having ice cream after my lunch. That's usually my bedtime snack. <laughs> so I'll just just an update. Where are you at on your Christmas shopping, Matt? I I'm at ground zero. Really? I like to I like to wait till there's a lot of pressure and no more deals. So that everything's been picked over. Mm-hmm. Oh, I nice. like I like just like there to be nothing. I want to be stressed, and, and I want to fight lines. And you're left with like beef jerky at the gas station. That's yes. your option. Slim Jim, and then I make Slim Jim animals. Nice. Just, okay. My kids love it. Right. Where are you? I took care of my wife last night. Wow. What? I love the the internet shopping. Just sit down and click, 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 done. We, under our tree, all we have are little Amazon boxes. Yeah. And then it comes pre-boxed. You just wrap it up yeah. and you're done. That's a... It's almost as... You don't even have to wrap it. It just says Amazon. You could get it pre-wrapped. Well, why do we have to wrap anything? Just, They've got a box to open. That too. My, my wife likes the paper. Okay. I. Yeah. What'd you buy her? I'm not going to say. She may be listening. She's not. She told me she downloaded the app, was listening in the car. She doesn't. That's what she said. Just give me a hint. No, it's fine. Is it something she wears? Does yeah. it smell pretty? Could. Is it, is it, I know you've been talking about them, and I know you've been pricing them, and then you okay. wore one around the office. Boxing gloves? Uh, no, that snuggly thing. Oh, the Snuggie. No, Snuggie? We're, not, we're, not, we're not doing the Snuggies. That uh, wink, you just winked. So you're not, but you are. I'm not winking. What time oh, is it? Say did it again. I did buy Nerf guns. Yeah. For all my kid, me and my wife. So what we are, can. So you're going to have a Nerf war. A Nerf war. Those came the other day. That was good. good idea. We ought to have those here. I wonder. Yeah. 
if our bosses. I was going to bring mine in. Try it. Let's bring it in. Yeah. Shoot around. Granted, no one else would have one, so I have this advantage over. You think I don't have one? (laughs) I have a lot of little compartments in my office. Got his motorized cannon. He's firing Nerf (laughs) darts down the hallway. You buy your wife a Nerf gun. I did. She's not excited, but that's fine. The problem, I wanted me and my son to have one. And I said, when that gets boring, then we just turn the fight to mom. Yeah. And she says, well, then I need one so I can defend sure. myself. I'm like, all right, fine. What she needs is a super soaker. And then that would stop everything. Yeah. Water would really end the, the fight. That's so, great. fun times. Yeah, I got to get on that. Thanks for yeah, reminding Christmas me. Christmas is, is, is upcoming. It's a thing. Yeah. The, the days are counting down, so you might want to get ready for Christmas. There is a certain amount of it that my wife just takes care of. Yeah. I basically shop for her. We have an, we have an elf on a shelf. Uh yeah. He takes care of everything. Okay. So I don't even – th- I usually don't worry about much. I only worry about like my wife. Just let the elf do it. Yeah. But then right. I get my wife Slim Jims and – Yeah. Make her a make Slim it, Jim bloom it, animal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Here's, look, an elephant. Hey. <laughs> the frame of an elephant. Beef jerky origami. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get to the headlines. Anything going on around the world we need to pay attention to? Thanks, Matt. In rare, in rare Oval Office address Sunday night, Barack Obama declared the San Bernardino shooting is an act of terrorism designed to kill innocent people, but that there was no evidence the attack was directed by a militant group overseas or part of a broader conspiracy in the U.S. Obama outlined the steps the government is taking to fight the threat on terrorism abroad and at home through international cooperation in accelerating the battle against ISIS in Iraq and Syria, as well as being resilient and relentless, he said. Obama broached gun control with a call to prevent people from on the no-fly list from buying guns, as well as tighter restrictions on assault weapons. Hillary Clinton on Sunday called on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter to help aid the fight against ISIS and their online radicalization effort during an interview on ABC. We're going to need help from Facebook and from YouTube and from Twitter. They cannot permit the recruitment and the actual direction of attacks or the celebration of violence by this sophisticated Internet user. They're going to have to help us take down these uh, announcements and these appeals as quickly as they get up. Now, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, for that, have been working to uh, take down this type of material, but not all of it, as some of it might be borderline as to how affiliated it is with a terrorist group. Well, so, okay, that's that's Facebook's job now? Well, they're, they're doing Twitter's some job? of that, yeah. Right, but wasn't everybody just mad about all of the NSA spying and paying attention sure. to all of your, yeah. so now let's just have Facebook do it? Interesting. It's yeah. It's an interesting uh, kind like of slide to somebody else. Seems like really who ought to do it is the government, and then they ought to call Facebook and say, "Shut those twelve things down." And let's. I don't yeah. know. I, I just don't know that I want Facebook in charge of that. It's their service. Well, I know, but then they need spice. They don't want the government involved. Right. <laughs> Trouble. It's, it's a difficult situation. Speaking of Hillary Clinton, she leads the Republican presidential field in a hypothetical general election matchup with Ben Carson and Marco Rubio running the closest to her, according to a new national MSNBC Telemundo Marist poll. Clinton's biggest lead is against current GOP frontrunner Donald Trump. She's ahead of him by 11 points among all voters. As you, you were talking about a Latino vote yeah. with uh, Joe, uh, Joe uh, Cannon earlier. With against Trump, fifty-two to forty-one percent is how she's leading, but a whopping forty-two points among Latino voters, sixty-nine to twenty-seven. Huh. When you match Clinton against Ted Cruz, she's leading by seven points nationally, 
by 27 points among Latinos. Okay. And then she leads, she's ahead of Marco Rubio by three points nationally and 19 points among interesting. Latinos. Interesting. So that's interesting. Ben Carson, she leads by one point nationally. Wow. But by 26 points against Latinos. Yeah. So with Rubio's Latinos. the best Latino yeah. option but it's in still the GOP. 19 points behind hmm. Hillary Clinton. So they have some work to do. Yeah. Apparently there's something they need to fix. Yeah. Perception is what it's called. Yeah. Attorney General Loretta Lynch is expected to announce this week that the Justice Department will launch an investigation into the Chicago Police Department. According to law enforcement officials familiar with the probe, the inquiry will focus on whether the department routinely violates civil rights as well as the use of deadly force by officers. Mm. It's dealing with some of the events of the last few weeks there in Chicago. And uh, this was kind of an odd story I found yesterday. An Alaska Airlines plane has has struck or struck and killed a deer while landing at the Sonoma County Airport in California. Alaska Whoa. Airlines spokeswoman told the Santa Rosa Press Democrat on on Saturday the deer apparently wandered into the plane's path and was hit uh, hit this was on Wednesday last week. So the plane's coming into to land it was scheduled to go on to Los Angeles but the flight was canceled so the aircraft could be inspected. She says the airplane was fine the tires were changed just for a precaution but you're coming into land and it hits a deer. Oh I mean, they hit birds, but... Well, yeah, but can you imagine the deer in the headlights scene there? <laughs> Whack. Unbelievable. That deer did not have a clue what was coming. Is that a Is that a car? Nope. Like, wow, this road has no traffic on it. This but is crazy. Can you, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Airplane hits a deer. Mm. I don't even know how the deer got up into, up into the air. That's amazing. Oh, it must have been on landing. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Hey, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, here's a crazy question for you. Should you pay your children for grades? Do you pay your kids for doing, you know, getting good grades? It is their job, right? Well, the latest research says it may not be a very good idea, folks. Generally, when when people are paid to do something, they tend to uh, lose interest in it. So we'll be talking with Amy McCready from amymccready.com. She's a trusted expert in positive parenting solutions. She's going to be walking us through the pay for grades program and what it might be doing to your parenting uh, down the line and in the future. Stick with us, folks, helping you uh, love stronger and lead your kids to a healthier, happier life. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, your children's job is their schoolwork, right? It only makes sense to pay them for good grades. We have high hopes for our kids, and we want them to succeed. We want to find ways to motivate them to do their best. However, numerous studies have shown over time that rewards dampen excitement about a task. So maybe paying your kids to do their homework and to get good grades, it might be actually having uh, an adverse effect on their excitement about schoolwork. Amy McCready is a parenting expert and the founder of Positive Parenting Solutions. She regularly posts on her blog and has made numerous appearances on the Today Show. She joins us now from Raleigh, North Carolina. Miss McCready, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great to have you on. I mean, what a what an interesting topic because we think you know we want our kids to be smart. We want them to. The, you know, getting good grades, going to school, that's pretty much their job. So why shouldn't we pay them to get good grades? Yeah, so at first glance, that makes sense for all the reasons that you just mentioned. And the truth is, we can get some short-term benefits. We can get short-term compliance, if you will, mm-hmm. by paying for grades. But we end up doing more harm in the long term. So Think about kind of what happens or the message that we send when we pay for grades or use rewards in general to motivate behavior because this goes, you know, well beyond just grades. It could be, you know, doing family jobs around the house, any number of things. Mm -hmm. So kind of the message that we start out by saying is, you know what, guys, I have no confidence whatsoever (laughs) that you'll work hard in school, that you'll go the extra mile, that you'll put that effort forth unless I pay you to do it. Mm. So kind of starting right off the bat, you're sending kind of a rather discouraging message that if I don't pay you or give you a gimme to do this, you're not going to get the job done. That's interesting because it, it's subtle, isn't it? It's, it's almost what – it's not just what you're saying. It's what you're not saying. By, by me right. paying you, I'm, I'm also telling you that I must think that you wouldn't do it otherwise. That's right. And, and think about what happens over time. So, you know, at first, maybe, you know, a quarter is motivating or a dollar is motivating. But the problem with rewards of any type is that they do lose their luster. Hmm. And eventually, it becomes the parent's job to continually dangling these carrots in front of their kids that are going to be sufficiently motivating. Now, and let's say that your child, you know, excels in math, but really just Oh, hates chemistry, or, right. you know, hates English or whatever. So do you have to pay like $20 for an <laughs> A in chemistry because he doesn't particularly like that class? Right. So you run into kind of these slippery slopes as you, as you, the more that you use rewards. Well, and then we're, then we're in this weird compensation world. Our child is already basically in the labor force at the age of sixth grade, <laughs> seventh grade. That's right. And no wonder we're all burned out by the time we're 40. Exactly. And, and you think about, again, it's that message. So eventually you have a child where, you know, maybe you want him to help out around the house or go and, and help out grandma because she isn't feeling well. And, and they're saying, all right, what am I going to get for it? Mm. So it creates that what's in it for me attitude, that entitlement attitude that, you know, a lot of parents are really concerned about with their kids these days. Holy cow. So if we don't do rewards, Amy, we're going to have to have other skills. If we can't just buy our kids off to do their homework (laughs) and to mow the lawn, um, how do we go about doing this? Well, there are a number of things that we can do that are going to foster internal motivation. And one thing that might be interesting just to mention for your listeners is that, you know, when you think about a reward, that is an external motivator, right? Mm -hmm, I'm giving you something in hopes that you'll do something for that reward. And there is a tremendous body of research shows that the more that we use those external rewards, whether it's stickers or money or whatever it is, the internal motivation for that task diminishes. 
So to directly answer your question, what do we need to do? What, what tools or skills do we parents need? We need the strategies that are going to foster the internal motivation mm. so that they want to work hard. They want to go the extra mile. They want to persevere and do all of those things that are going to lend to long-term success in school as well as other aspects of their lives. And there are a number of tools that we can share with parents that will do just that. And those don't go away. I mean, if I'm intrinsically motivated – then and that that is interesting because in my work I I am intrinsically motivated I love every facet of my different parts of my job and my kids know that because I'm always reading I'm always studying I'm always anticipating they get to come with me and it, it, they they see passion I guess is the key they don't they don't ever even they don't even ask me the paycheck they just know that that was really fun what we just did. Absolutely, and, and we see study after study for you know in the workplace that when an employee gets a raise, that's that's motivating and exciting for a very short period of time. But it's not the money that people are working for. That's not what keeps them motivated. It's the sense of contribution and knowing that you're making a difference and you're creating to the greater good. And all of those things are what keep us motivated. And we can apply that same concept for our kids in school. We want them to love learning. We want them to get the sense of, you know, even if this is difficult, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to keep working hard because I can continue no matter where I am right now. I can continue to work hard and improve and, and learn new things. And those are um, perspectives and, and um, what's wrong with what, that? That's, that's going to carry them through life, whether it's going to be in school or in the workplace or anywhere else. It, um, it was interesting. I was working with a parent recently, and he said, um, Amy, I, I, we want our kids to pray throughout the day. And so to get them to pray throughout the day, we are um, paying them. So every time, you know, they engage in prayer, we're giving them a reward to do that. Mm. And I thought, wow. So think about that. You know, (laughs) pay to pray. Your prayer life, right, (laughs) to be motivated from the inside. That's part of who you are. But when we start paying uh, a child for something that that we want them to do intrinsically, it undermines that. And that's why I say that research is very clear on that, that the more that we use external motivators, it actually diminishes the intrinsic motivation for that particular task. And does the extrinsic motivator, is that something that turns our child into kind of a what's in it for me, what's in it for me mentality? Exactly. So um, there was a really interesting study by two researchers, Lepper and Green. It's called the Magic Marker Study. It's sort of a classic on this topic. And in this study, they took um, a group of preschoolers and they divided them into two groups. These were all kids who loved to draw. Mm. And so all of the kids were encouraged to draw, but one group was rewarded for drawing. And what they found over time is that the children who were rewarded for drawing the amount of spontaneous drawing actually decreased by 50%, and the aesthetic quality of their work diminished as well. So what ends up happening is we we do the task for the gimme rather than for the love of drawing or reading or praying or whatever it happens to be. Man. And, and without even knowing it, you could be you could actually be putting the the fire out on a passion of your child. Mm, exactly. 
Exactly, exactly. And, you know, even with adults, you, you see all the time, you know, um, in professional sports, you know, athletes will report that once they're getting paid for that sport, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the enjoyment diminishes for a lot of them. So, but you're right, for our kids, we, and of course, parents are rewarding kids with the best of intentions, sure. but unknowingly, it actually has the opposite effect of what we're trying to accomplish. Wow. Okay. We got to take a break and come back and, and tear this apart, Amy. I need more ideas for what I'm supposed to do to get them intrinsically motivated, more bought into just, you know, the, the internal drivers. Interesting stuff. Again, we're speaking with uh, Amy McCready, and you can find out more about Amy on her website, amymccready.com. McCready is spelled M-C-C-R-E-A-D-Y, amymccready.com. We'll take a break, continue this discussion when we come back, and, uh, and more just about her book, Me, 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 The Me, Me, Me Epidemic. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on the phone with us from North Carolina is uh, Amy McCready, uh, who has a, a great website. If you go to amymccready.com, you can find out about her books, her uh, media. She does a ton of media, does a ton of speaking. She is a trusted expert in positive parenting solutions and is a parenting expert helping us today walk through how to motivate your children without just, you know, buying them off without just paying them for their grades or just even for their work around the house. Uh, Amy McCready, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. Love having you. This is, to me, a fun topic. I have six kids, and, uh, you know, I've messed a few of them up. (laughs) So I'm not afraid to admit that. It's just it's sometimes it's so – yeah, by the way, I love that you say you're a recovering screamer. You've learned that you don't have to scream at your kids to to get them moving. There's a lot of great stuff in your book, The Me, Me, Me Epidemic. Um, It's – what it is is we we really don't know how to parent, right? We just just have to learn. There's skills. There's tools we need. We just can't wing it. And it's so funny. Um, I I myself have felt this and I've heard this from so many parents. It's like, you know, I'm a a good person. I'm loving. I'm nurturing. I'm reasonably smart. (laughs) Why am I having so much difficulty with this? And while we are loving and nurturing and all of that good stuff, parenting is like any other job that requires a set of skills. And so we can bring out the best in our kids and bring out the best in ourselves if we have the tools um, to, to help us all be successful. Yeah, no, that's it. And, and I, I see it with marriages and relationships and even money and finance. We just need the tools. And the amazing thing about living in today's day and age those tools exist. You just got to go looking for them. In fact, on your website, amymccready.com, you have free training as well. I mean, you're giving a lot of stuff away to help. Well, we, that is our goal. We're, we're trying to reach as many parents as we can because there's no need to yell right. at your kids when, you know, we can, we can use other positive tools. They're going to be so much more effective. So, so help me with the, the, you know, what should we be doing, right? So what are some other ways we can, uh, we can make sure we're putting our child in a position where their intrinsic motivators can kick in, where they can, 
you know, grow say, grow strong, grow independent, and still get stuff done. Exactly. We want kids to be intrinsically motivated, and as parents, we don't want to be nagging, reminding, and maybe yelling at our kids for them to do what they're supposed to do, get their homework done. So I have a number of tools that parents can start using today um, to to really move off of rewards or paying, if that's what you've been doing, and to, uh, you know, put the responsibility on your kids. So the first one is to give up the rewards, and, and if you've been doing it, you can say, you know what, you guys are really growing up, and you're becoming, excuse me, so much more independent and responsible. So before, when you were younger, we used to use rewards for grades or pay you for grades, but you're really growing up, and you don't need that anymore. Mm. So you just sort of make the break. Then you want to replace the rewards with encouragement. And this seems like a yeah, 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 whatever, but this... um, I want you to be very specific about the encouragement. So parents can make a list of what are all of the things that contribute to a positive outcome with the grades. So, Hmm. for example, putting in the study time, persevering when it's a really tough problem, asking for help, um, studying in groups, all of those things that kids can do, those actions that they can take that will contribute to a positive outcome, and then you encourage it. So you can say, wow, you know, I really have noticed how you persevered through those math problems or all of that time Mm. that you spent working on your spelling words. You must feel so proud of yourself. So you replace the reward with encouragement. That fosters that internal motivation. Yeah, you're like promoting the drivers, right? You're promoting the things that get results instead of saying, you're so smart. Yes. You're so smart, Timmy. Yes, and we can talk for a whole hour yeah. on that topic. But again, there's a tremendous amount of research that shows that that really undermines what we're trying to accomplish. Because if you're just smart, that basically says that I, I'm not in control of my I, I'm not in control of my success. I mean, right. I'm smart or I'm not smart. Yeah. So we want to encourage you're good, you're bad, right? Drivers. That's good. So, so, that's so, the first thing. so, and you, and you could go make the list, and the more drivers. You have like study time improves grades, perseverance, studying, um, asking questions or whatever. Once you have that list, then you can start looking for when they're doing that. Absolutely. And think about when you start encouraging perseverance, well, that's going to make a difference at school, but it's also going to make a difference on the soccer field sure, that's and eventually huge. on their part-time jobs. So we're, we're really encouraging those character traits. They're going to help them be successful for the long haul. Do you have that – do you make that list with your child or do you do it by yourself? You, I think it could be either, Matt. Yeah, because that would be powerful. That's a really great thought. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. But, yes, you could do that. Because then all yeah. of a sudden they, these are all the things they can do to improve their own situation. That's right. Now, let's, so let's talk about what happens when they bring the A home on the test. Yeah, okay. So, you know, a, a lot of parents are like, yay, great, it's an A, that's so exciting and wonderful. And yes, that is exciting and wonderful. But you want to make sure that you tie that A to one of those drivers that we talked about. Hmm. So, wow, you know, all of that extra study time really paid off. Going to help class and working yeah. with your friends on that project really made a difference. You must feel so proud of that. So they, we want to tie the positive outcome to something that they did to earn it. Yeah, that's good. Because then again, it's not magic. It's just that's right. work. It's just our list. That's right. And not all of your children are going to be A-plus students. Right. And so we want everybody to feel encouraged and, and feel good about themselves as long as they put in that hard work and the effort 
even if they're earning a C, and that's their very best. We want them to feel great about right. that. Right. Well, that's great. Good. What else? Okay, so then we, okay. when they bring it home, tie it back to what we saw was working. That's right. So tie the, the outcome back to the hard work, perseverance, whatever that happened to be. Right. Now, the other thing that I hear from parents all the time is, oh, I'm nagging them constantly to get their homework done. Yeah. And so one of the tools that parents can start using today, and it will become your best friend, is called a when-then routine. Hmm. When-then. And when-then routines you can use in the morning to get kids out the door in the morning, after school for homework, evenings. But basically, a when-then routine is structured so that the yucky stuff must happen before the fun part of the day. So your when-then routine in the afternoon, for example, is when your homework is finished, and I've checked it depending on the age of the child, Mm -hmm. then you may go out and play with your friends. Then we'll leave for soccer practice. Then you can enjoy your 30 minutes of technology time. But when you have a when-then routine, and that's always the way it is every day, there's nothing to discuss. Kids know that when the yucky stuff is done, then they can enjoy the more yeah. enjoyable parts of their routine. So you got to get that in their head. And do you just do that by – do you sit down and have a formal meeting and introduce when then? Or do you just say it so many times that they're like, oh, jeez. My mom's <laughs> like sticking to it. I it. I do too. Because and, and you can say, you know what? You guys are probably so tired of me nagging you about your homework. And they'll be like, yes. And so you can say, I get it. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. And, again, you guys are really growing up. So from now on, we're going to have a when-then routine in the afternoon. And mm. it goes like this. When your homework is done, you've completed your family jobs, and, you know, whatever whatever is on the list, then you can enjoy your 30 minutes of technology time or whatever. That's great. So the when-then routine becomes the boss, so you as the parent don't have to be the boss nagging them and reminding them through their day. And it becomes a cue, so every time they say, can I go, can I go to Johnny's? Then you can just re-cue it by saying, yeah, when you do X, you can do yeah. Y. That's right. And you'll get to the point where you don't even have to do that anymore. They know. They, they know. know that that's the Don't routine. even ask. Exactly. What do you do when you catch them in the middle of not, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing? Should you say anything or should you let them just have the consequence? Well, I think it's always helpful to just make an observation because whenever possible, you want to allow the child to save face. Right. And so you can say, oh, my goodness, you probably forgot about our when-then routine. When your homework is finished, Mm. then you can have your iPad time or whatever it happens yeah. to be. Now, if it becomes a reoccurring problem, then we may have to get a little bit more consequential. When do we get it? When do we get to ground them? When do we get to ground them? When do we get to throw them in their room and tell them have them slam the door? <laughs> well, here's the thing: we want to avoid using those more consequential yeah. strategies unless we have to. We always want to help empower the child. And that's why I like the when-then routines, because the child is in control. When they finish their stuff, then they can have their iPad time. But remember, our technology curfew is 6 p.m. Hmm. 
So if they dilly-dally and don't get everything done, well, then they may not have time for their iPad because the technology curfew is 6 p.m. But again, if you are having reoccurring problems with this that tells us that it's not working, and, for example, we may have to remove technology, period, yeah. as a privilege. We don't want to get to that point, but that, that's the child's choice, certainly. Look at what you're showing us, though. You've given us two or three points that all can proceed the other things we do naturally just more reactively. So, again, it, just by having more ideas, we could go down a whole list of stuff before we ever need to get to stronger discipline. That's right. Oh, and heaven. then that's to be more empowering for the child. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Anything else we can do to keep them more intrinsically motivated and even knowing what motivates them, what drives them? Well, yes. And so a lot of this is about personal responsibility, right? We want for it to be their job. So in so many families, it's the parent's job, again, with a lot of nagging and reminding. So one of the other things that parents can do is um, employ what I call like a help policy. Mm -hmm. And so the help policy might be something like this. You know, I am happy to help you with your homework, and my help hours are from 6.30 to 8 p.m., or whatever it happens to be, Hmm. 4.30 to 6. Yeah. Establish, so you don't want to be up at 9.30 or 10 o'clock helping with spelling words. That's that's not good for anybody. So I'm happy to help you with the, during these hours, and I'll help you with anything that you've already worked on. So if we're working on math problems, you've already gone through the problems, You've, you've, you know, worked at it, and you can explain to me your thought process. Yeah. So I'm not just coming in to rescue you. You have given it your best shot. And then, then again, you as the parent can encourage their hard work, and I can see your thought process on that, and we just need to make a little, you know, a few tweaks here and there. But again, they're feeling good about the fact that they've worked on it. They may not have figured it out, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can help them, you know, finish that out. And, the, and you have to stick to this, right? So at 8.30 when they come to you and it's a half hour past the help desk being closed, mm-hmm. um, and they throw their fit, what do you say? What do you do? Well, first off, you would have revealed this in advance. Yeah. So everybody yeah, they... knows. You might even put a little sign up, so just to remind everybody. And then you can say, oh, my goodness, I'm sorry that we missed help hours today. Let's make sure that we, you know, tweak the routine so that you have plenty of time to, to make, hmm. you know, to get help tomorrow. That's so great. Because really, that's, that's, where, that's where a fight would take place, right? That's where the argument would mm-hmm. hit the fan, right? Is right then. I told you all day to get ready, and I was only going to help you so long. And Matt, you hit it on the head, right? I told you. I told I you. We're so quick to jump to that, which only creates more of a power struggle for the child. Mm-hmm. When you can say in your calm voice, "Oh, bummer! I'm sorry we missed help hours. Let's make sure that we, you know, do what we need to to make that happen tomorrow." It really is. It's basic, isn't it? It is, and it's all about helping the child own it, take responsibility for it. We as parents, with the best intentions, just do a lot of rescuing. In fact, that's one other little tool I'll share with your listeners is the no rescue policy. Yeah. And that is that once, you know, once the child is old enough in, in elementary school, upper elementary school, homework is their responsibility. So if you don't get it done, if you leave it sitting on the kitchen table, I'm not going to drive it to school and and rescue you, bail you out constantly. Now, we have to be clear. Anybody can make a mistake, and we want to show grace and and help each other out. But for repeated forgetters, 
if mom is driving things to school once a week, that's a problem. And so we need to implement the no rescue policy and let the child experience the consequence of their forgetfulness or yeah. not doing their homework or whatever it happens to be. They won't forget that again. That's right. But I, if we keep rescuing them, we rob them of the opportunity to learn that personal responsibility. And that might be what's what we're running into with a lot of uh, – kids today is we've hovered over them so much that maybe they've never learned to do some of this stuff. That's right. We we get, and I talk about this um, in the Me, Me, Me epidemic, where out of a, a loving intention, we have rescued, we've helicoptered, we, helicoptered, we've paved the way out of love, but we have robbed them of the opportunity to learn the skills and the character traits that they need to be successful. And then we get annoyed with them because they don't take responsibility. But we've never given them the opportunity. That's so true. And then we blame it on our, our spouse's parents. <laughs> Isn't that weird? How we just always come back that. to them? <laughs> no, I just know people that do. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Well, I, I appreciate it. It really is. It's I think they're just so basic, yet you can see that they would work. Uh, Amy, this is all in your your new book then, huh? The Me, Me, Me epidemic? It is, and there's a lot of information um, on my other website, which is positiveparentingsolutions.com. And there's a lot of free training for parents there, so they can tap into anything that might be of interest to them. Good stuff. Amy, we appreciate you. We'll have you back on to to pick your brain some more. Amy McCready, you bet. And uh, great resources, great tools, Positive Parenting. Uh, solutions.com. Go check out that website as well. We'll take a break, come back, and wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, at some point, we got to dig deeper than what we what we learned as a parent. Like, yeah, just pay your kid. Just pay him. I mean, that'll work. It's such an interesting question. When you think about how you're parenting, are you, what's your goal? What is your end in mind? Is your goal in the end to have them get good grades? And or is your goal to have them know what they're good at, know how to operate on their own, know how to resolve their own problems. I mean, grades is one measurement. And she made a really good point that uh, our our last guest, Amy McCready, made a really good point that when you when you tell somebody, you know, you're so smart, you might get in their head the idea that being smart is why they get good grades, not the other 50 things that matter, like working hard, asking questions, knowing what's expected, you know, putting your head down and getting stuff done and being disciplined. There, that's, you know, there's 10 things that make a better student than just being smart. And do you believe that? Or do you believe, for example, some people are just born to, you know, make money. They just, they're just, they just are good at making money. Some people are just better at being married. Well, okay, great. So what separates those that are great at being married versus those that aren't? What is the difference? There's a a recent study out that says tall guys make great husbands. According to the research, in the short term, 
the taller the guy, the gra- a greater height difference in a couple was positively related to the wife's happiness. Excellent. <laughs> and um, is that – so is that like a universal truth? No. Short guys, and I'm fighting for the short guy now, can make great husbands too. Now, I bet there might be – apparently not. Maybe there's a study though that also says tall men might be prone – to have affairs. I don't know. But if that's the case, then maybe they don't make the best husbands. In the short term, the research shows the taller the husband, the happier the wife. Can I just suggest there's deeper, more important principles than your height to your marriage? Like, you know, success of communication, hard work, discipline, Fairness, somebody that's empathic, somebody that notices when you're down, somebody that's willing to communicate. Those might be other things. I don't know. Just throwing them out there. Anyway, with our kids, let's not just pay them off. Let's figure out all of the things that we're trying to teach them. And, man, let them learn a lot of them on their own. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. We'll take a break come back. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. I don't know why I got a lot more energy in the third hour than the first hour. And I haven't even had the ice cream that Ben brought me. You said you're not really a morning person hosting a morning show. I'm not a morning person hosting a morning show. But I am a mid-morning person. And now the show has moved to mid-morning. Because we've been doing it for two hours. Ah, time flies when you're having fun. Hey, uh, happy December 7th, National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. A lot of heroes uh, made in that uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. So we we just you know pay tribute to them today. Also, it's letter writing day. You don't want to lose the great joy of having a handwritten letter arrive in your mailbox. Eh, I'm okay with it. Let it go. Just send an email. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot of work to write a letter anymore. Now you can actually. There's companies that you can just type it in and send it to the company, and then they'll send the letter out for you. Do you do the family Christmas letter? My wife does. Yes, and it is. It's huge. We have a huge list and it, expectation to deliver. Is the whole family participating no. willfully, or is no. there resistance? The problem is none of us. We can't take a great picture together. Okay. Individually, we can all nail one in ten pictures. Yeah. So if we take enough, we can piece together a collage. So a lot of times our family card is a collage of our best moment. With me, it's pretty much just my headshot that I've used for 20 years. From your website. Yeah. I like to use my headshot from 20 years ago. Okay. I feel younger. Like, wow, he never ages. Look Mm, at him. Look at that guy. He's just never aging. We just like put a sepia tone on it or different different colors. You filter. (laughs) And uh, 
It makes us look better. Yeah, there's resistance in my family, and my mom gets very angry about the resistance. Really? Yes. Like Her emails now say, it's time now for the list. Please, no comments. Because wow. my brother and I will just fire back like, oh, really? Ah, <laughs> blasted. Yeah, we even put together, you know, we do three truths and a lie for each child. Three truths that happened to them this year and a lie. And, and then, then make something up. And then the people have to guess it. So we make it a game. Okay. We also have game prizes up to $1,000 uh, if you want an iPad, anybody that can guess. No, we don't. But That would be the lie. That would be that's a lie. See, yeah. for example, that You're was a lie. You're playing the game right now. <laughs> and my wife does it. She's fantastic. And then what's amazing about it, this is what's weird. When you send out Christmas cards, you get Christmas cards. Yes. So we get hundreds, hundreds of Christmas cards, like 300, I think. Wow. I know. You just keep the fire going with those, right? Yeah, just okay. stoking the fire left. <laughs> See, you buy a car, you get Christmas cards. I know. I, I Yeah. I once yeah. got a calendar of me standing in front of my new car. We bought a house. Yeah. The broker we used, we've lived in the house for like a decade. Yeah. The broker we used keeps sending us these little postcards with recipes on them. Hmm. And he's like, hey, if you know anybody, send them my way. By the way, here's a good cookie recipe. Feliz Navidad. Do you need a Yule log? And we're like, what? Every month we get a new <laughs> cookie recipe from the guy. See that? But see, that guy's trying to have you remember who he is. Right. As I walk back to the recycling and chuck it. I always like my my <laughs> I, I like my real estate agent when we do the transaction. It's about yeah. five years later. I'm like, why did he talk me into this thing? This like, place what? is a mess. What are you doing? So Horrible. when you get those letters from other people that you know, yeah. the full like two, three pages, this is what are happening yeah. to our family. Do you read them? Um, you know what? I, I do. There's I, I read that there's a special place in our house okay. um, where there's just a lot of good reading done. And we just – I read them in there. All right. It's where nobody bothers me <laughs> and it's quiet, a slight echo. It's just now. What, what about posting such a thing on, like, say, Facebook? So instead of mailing it out, maybe you email no. it to your no. email or, or post cheap. it on Facebook. Well, you just... can do that too, but you ought to mail it out to your your favorite, you know, five hundred. Okay. <laughs> we let me tell you where it comes in handy is with then when you get a daughter that's getting married, you have your list that you're going to send everything to. Right, so it's all up to date. Yeah, when I when I got married, my mom pulled yeah. out the address. I like book. it because you so. get to see what all your friends are doing. Your first ten years, you it's all about competition. You're like, no way does he? Are you kidding? That guy's an idiot. How did he make that much money? <laughs> He's got a boat. Oh, they're on a boat. Oh, a boat! Wow, look at their boat. Wow, I'd give anything to have a boat. That's the first ten years. Yeah, but now I'm like twenty six years into this. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm like, like, oh, yeah. man, he's breathing. Look at that. <laughs> That's great. He's always starting to hunch over, though. Look at his oh, hunching now. Look at that. No calcium. I'm not even hunching yet. <laughs> I got a gut that won't stop, but I'm not hunching. I just I wanted to kind of get a feel for yeah. how that sort of side of Christmas is going. But my wife kills the family it. Christmas she letter. kills it. Okay. We, yeah, it's really cool. We actually, if anybody is Have a friend your... of ours and they need a Christmas card of theirs from Ooh. about 10 years ago, call us. Because we've got one. Maybe it's on file. Yeah, we keep them on file. <laughs> We're doing that for the NSA. Hey, did you hear about the council, the city council in Wor- Worcestershire? How do you say that? Uh, England? Yeah. They are. It's probably Shire. Yeah. It's where all the hobbits Wor- live. Wor- Worcestershire. <laughs> 
They're sending up a microsatellite out into space. Here's the audio from it. From the satellite? Yeah. It's kind of annoying. They're in talks with specialists in the U.S. to manufacture a microsatellite. Why would you have a satellite that makes sound when there's no sound in space? Well, but you, yeah, you wouldn't be able to hear it because oh, okay. it's in space. Well, it just seems like a waste of effort. Uh, no, but guess Put what, guess what this is going to be used for, though? What's that? Traffic jams. And to check to see if there's potholes. Okay. They're going to send, I'm assuming, a multi-million dollar satellite rig into space to check for potholes. Could you not hire Jimmy Yeah. and give him, I don't know, a, a Pinto or a drone. and let him drive around? You could do it with a drone. No, you don't need technology. Get an old car from the 70s and let Jimmy, some 12, not 12, I guess 16-year-old kid, hey, dude, drive around. Okay. Look for holes in the ground. Let us know what you find. Yeah. It sounds like a... Uh, a local municipality with a budget surplus. Yeah, so budget. they're going to spend it on something. They're talking satellites. How about you buy some drones and then you hire some teenagers, <laughs> oh, have them fly be... around no, town. You can't have teens. They'll make. <laughs> they'll get in trouble. Yeah. So instead, let's satellites. fire another satellite up into space. More junk. Do it. Unbelievable. <laughs> and by the way, just so you know, um, Santa Claus stole... A helicopter. Yes, he did. In Brazil. Or, one of, or one of his helpers. No, this says Santa it's Claus. It's Santa? Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to give him the I, benefit of the I doubt. was too. I would like to, but... St. Nick. Police, Brazilian police are hunting for a Sao Paulo Santa Claus who kicked off the Christmas shopping season by stealing a helicopter. I thought he had a sled. Well, you got to update the technology at some point. Man. That means he's going to be trying to get, you know... Jet fuel. What kind of fuel do you put in a helicopter? Air, air. I, I go the unleaded. <laughs> go unleaded that way? Yeah. Don't they use the good stuff, the Supreme? Yeah, they do. <laughs> you got to pay about an extra 30 cents. After several hours, the pilot managed to escape and alert police. There's been no sign of a helicopter. He has, he's, he's gotten away. He's out. Well, they know where he went, right? At Santa Claus. Yeah. He's got a date a coming Walmart. up here at the end of the month. Right. They can get him. Yeah. Just wait. He's going to come back. He'll come by your house, and that's when you jump him. Well, Just I wait. Feel, I feel bad for him now. Well, I mean, he made his choice. That's true. Stole a helicopter. Don't do that, Santa Claus. Yeah. You're on the naughty list now, pal. If he would have asked, they probably would have let him use it for December. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Just on loan. I'll bring it back with candy canes. <laughs> kind, sir. Or the elves could have made one. They make toy helicopters. I don't know. I think the elves are losing it. They're not as good as they used to Mo- be. Most of that's outsourced now. Because their toys were wooden toys, yeah. and people have moved beyond that. They outsourced to other places, <laughs> other pa- planets. They have a partnership with, with the toy companies around yeah. the country. You guys are crazy. Hey, uh, we're going to take uh, – no, we, we're going to get to headlines before we do that. Um, we got a great guest coming up. We're going to be talking with uh, Lynn Margulies about – these crazy little competitions that happen between maybe your mom and your wife. And a lot of them, you know, they emerge during these holiday seasons where who's going to spend time with whom? What's going to go down? How come you always more time with your mother than with me? Anyway, how to deal with the plague of choosing between your mother and your wife. Sometimes they can be fun. Sometimes if you can see it coming, yeah. you're like, oh, sit back. Here we go. Watch it. That's but dangerous. yeah, sometimes it, if it gets out sometimes of control. Sometimes they're deadly. 
It could ruin Christmas. Quite honestly. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on around the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. President Obama addressed the nation Sunday night, talking about the threat of terrorism and how our nation plans to fight ISIS and protect the United States. And as groups like ISIL grew stronger amidst the chaos of war in Iraq and then Syria, and as the Internet erases the distance between countries, we see growing efforts by terrorists to poison the minds of people like the Boston Marathon bombers and the San Bernardino killers. President Obama did not announce major changes to his plans to fight ISIS, even though that strategy came under question after a group claimed responsibility for a major terrorist attack in Paris last month, which gunmen killed 130 people, also the attack in San Bernardino. He said the current strategy is is supported by military and counterterrorism experts. The deadly San Bernardino shooting last week sparked renewed interest in the U.S. government's surveillance capabilities. Just months after a long, contentious fight in Congress resulted in stripping the National Security Agency of its controversial bulk data collection powers, Now, several Republican presidential candidates are proposing to restore the NSA's surveillance program, citing domestic terror threats and the rise of ISIS. Florida Senator Marco Rubio called the NSA metadata collection program a critical tool in the nation's counterterrorism arsenal, one that intelligence agencies, uh, the agency was forced to give up with the passage of the USA Freedom Act earlier this year. Uh, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham pledged to reinstate the NSA's bulk phone records collection powers, ensuring that uh, he would make the program as robust as possible within the constitutional limits. The USA Freedom Act, officially signed into law in June, stymied the government's ability to collect and retain phone records. Instead, it requires private telecommunication companies to hold on to that information. Federal officials would then be able to tap into that information troll by making specific re- data requests through warrants. Now, that was just put mm. into effect about a week, two weeks ago, and now we're already talking about yeah. unraveling all that. In the face of new terror attacks. Crazy. Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson on Monday today said he plans to announce a new level to the terrorism threat alert system and hopes that will keep the public better informed. The National Threat Advisory System will be augmented with an intermediate level. National Security News Defense Outlet reports the current system has never been activated because it can only be used when there is a credible threat against the U.S., which is a pretty high bar, Johnson said. Obama retired the color-coded terrorism threat level system first put into place by former President George W. Bush after the September 11th attacks. If you remember those, those were – I guess they they, they updated the threat level every day and people just ignored it because after a while, oh, it's a yellow. Oh, it's a a red. Oh, I don't know what that means. Maybe we don't need a threat level. Maybe you just say – this is what you say. Something bad could happen today, but don't say it every day. Just when you have a real threat, you say, we're not going to say anything. We're not going to change any levels, but something bad could happen today. And for me, it became confusing because you had the color-coded threat level. Yeah. And then on the same, you see it in the paper, the same page had, is it a clean burn day? Is it a bad <laughs> pollution day? And they use kind of the same system. So one would be a red, and is there a yellow? And I well, wasn't yeah, sure there's too many on. systems. Yeah, so they needed to streamline That's why you something. just sneak it in and say, something bad could happen. But that may be coming back. Okay, something well. Something we'll see. That's why we're not president. Uh, We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, Dr. Lynn Margulies will be joining us on how to deal with the plague of choosing between your mother and your wife, competing family loyalties during the holiday season. Are you noticing them? Uh, We'll be talking about uh, that duality, that little problem we've got, uh, the bind, she calls it, a loyalty bind. Do I love my mom or my wife? Where do I go? We'll talk about it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, the holidays can be a trying time for married couples, and things can get messy trying to decide whose parents' house to go to for dinner or how to split their time between families. This also can bring up a lot of family drama and offended in-laws. Many men, especially at this time of year, are plagued with having to choose between their mothers and their wives. And many mothers may not be happy with giving up their precious time with their sons for another woman. Joining us on the phone, psychologist and former Harvard Medical School instructor, Dr. Lynn Margulies, is with us. And she's going to walk us through uh, this, this little loyalty bind, this problem that we have that comes up in so many dysfunctional uh, dynamics uh, that we see in families, especially, and not especially, but many times around the holiday season. Dr. Margulies, uh, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Love your show. Oh, you bet. Thank you. And this, for me, I, I see this all the time with my clients where, but I, I didn't know. I had never heard about the loyalty bind. So I'm, I'm excited for you to talk to us about it. What is it that happens? And, and it seems like it happens more between maybe a mother and a daughter or a mother and a, and a wife than maybe a father and a son-in-law. What, what is it that's going on that's, that's having, this, having the person have to choose one love over the other? So what's going on is there, there's this high-stakes test where the, man, the, the adult son, there's the adult son, his mom, and his wife, and he feels like he's forced to choose between two women. Hmm. It's really, it's set up by the mom and usually it's a dynamic that happens from early on where he's learned to accommodate what she needs and that may have worked growing up but now there is no way to not disappoint one of them so he's basically going to have to betray either his mom or his wife Hmm. now is it it, is it always i mean is it always the kind of mother-son relationship or is it? can that be in any type of relationship? You know, in my practice, I find that the people who are coming in complaining of this are the couples coming in are usually, it, it's the man, the adult son, and his mom. Hmm. So it's that symbiotic yeah. relationship. Sometimes you might hear about a mom and her daughter, and you, you might have the man complaining about that in an individual session, but rarely do they come in with that as a presenting problem. I right. Men, men are, are less likely to be upset over their, you know, someone not liking them. Um, and so that may not be the presenting problem. Also, if the, if the wife is enmeshed with her mom, there could be some benefits for some men temporarily. Right, because they'll have stuff to go know, do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They get let off the hook. Yeah. But ultimately, if the man feels left out, it can be very, it can be very emasculating. So it's a problem. It just manifests differently. Now, one of the things I read in your article, and you have a great article on psychcentral.com that's called, that's titled Competing Family Loyalties in the Holiday Season, is this idea that Loyalty binds are common. They're common dysfunctional dynamics, but they tend to be that the mom really has anger with her husband. Well, it's actually not necessarily true that she's angry at her husband. Often the husband is peripheral. She, If, if the son stops 
colluding in this dynamic, she will get angry at her husband. Okay. But typically the, the, the husband is kind of marginalized and, and not really that involved. And the son has taken on the role of the man of the house and the husband. So that's really, the mom is not really disappointed yet until the son, the adult son, starts setting limits or trying to set limits hmm. um, once once a competitor steps in, once the wife steps in. Boy, and then it then it, it gets more intense for the husband and for right. the son and for everybody, really, I guess. Right. Typically, you know, the the major players are the the adult son, the wife, and and the mom. And usually, you know, you don't really hear a lot about the husband in this because usually the husband is kind of glad to not be the target of any of this. So mm-hmm. he, he usually stays out of it. <laughs> yeah, he he wants, he, yeah, he he wants to to kind of to stay free and clear. And then it seems like. Uh, it's also energized by the wife that is, you know, doesn't have the the safety, the control over the relationship that she would want, and always is having to answer to the mom. Right. Well, you know, the key the key here is that the adult son sees himself as the victim. He sees himself as sort of a helpless person, a helpless victim between two warring factions. But it's, that's really, it's really not the issue that the two of them aren't getting along. The issue is that he's colluding with his mom to be the central relationship. And right. he, it's usually an unconscious process. He's not aware that he's doing that. He's used to accommodating. So he's going to try to accommodate the mom, and then he's going to go and also try to accommodate his wife. And typically what that involves is making promises and omitting omitting details, lying, sort of lying by omission. So he might um, make a plan, he might change a plan that he already made with his wife and agree with the mom to come a day earlier. And then mm-hmm. the wife finds out about something that's been omitted like that and gets really angry at him. Oh. So really, it's his accommodation that's that's more of the issue, kind of his collusion, as you keep saying, more so than that he's a victim. And I mean, I, I've seen this a lot of times, and and the guy sits there like, I know these people are crazy, but they really? they're really. A, I mean, it is him. He's the problem. Right. It really. It, it has. Yes, there there could be a personality issue between the the daughter or you know or the his his wife and his mom but that's really if you look at it that way you're not going to solve the problem because yeah. really that doesn't matter if if the man is aligned properly with his in his wife it won't matter so much i mean it could be uncomfortable but it won't it won't affect his relationship mm. it um and so you're telling us there is there is some hope but you have to see you have to see it for what it is. You can't just go in and chase the smoke of whatever the argument they're fighting about or control or any of those issues. The bigger issue is the collusion and the and the mom's need to kind of keep, you know, keep the son in in a connected place with her and and the wife's need to have a marriage. Right. Well, and and the wife colludes in this as well because often she's not aware that she's 
a player in the drama that's set up by the mom that the, the adult son is a part of. So mm. She often acts very similar to the mom and is controlling. So she's taking part in this competition. The competition is who do you love more? Who's going to be primary? So he's got his mother trying to control him, and then the wife is trying to win. And even though she may be correct that she should be primary, she's engaging in, in a control struggle. Hmm. And so he's seeing himself as between both factions. Now, let me let this because this is a dysfunctional pattern. This is a little bit different than kind of the normal uh, issue that pretty much every married couple might have about making sure we get to both families and seeing each family, you know, through the holidays. Right. I mean, there's a difference between just having traditional stress of trying to see everyone and everyone wanting enough time with you and then the kind of this more dysfunctional system of codependence. Right, and what makes this dysfunctional, I mean, systems that are rigid are more dysfunctional. So when the, when the original family system, everyone feels a pressure to regress back to how they were when they were a kid. Right. The holidays or when they're around their family all become really regressed. There's a pressure from inside of us to take on that, you know, little boy role and, and there's a pressure from parents to be the same way. So um, th- there's pressure from both sides, but in a healthier family, a healthier family might be able to adapt to the changes. It will be a little bit of a struggle, but the boundary will be clear. The man will accept the boundary. It might not have been so difficult. And if the mom is disappointed, it's not a disaster. It's not something that has to be avoided because mm. here... The main thing is, is the, the mom and the adult son are blended. So he's afraid to experience her anger and disappointment. So everything that he does is geared towards keeping her calm yeah. and keeping her happy with him and so that he's not the object of her anger. So it gets diverted so the wife becomes the object of her anger and he's the idealized son. Hmm. Man, so this really gets this is a, this is because of their other attachment disorders or other attachment issues that are going on. Right, this isn't a normal family yeah. dynamic. What right. I'm talking about, it's actually a very common in otherwise you know reasonably healthy, high functioning people. You see this a lot. People coming into therapy with this problem, and it's really the problem of the man not being differentiated. It's not having a strong enough sense of self because you learn to adapt to a mom who has attachment issues. And what that means is that she's used him growing up, when, he, when he's growing up, for her own security and validation. Mm. And it's trying to, clinging to him to try to avoid separation and loss. Mm. Man, it is, it, it, it's complicated. And then this ends up creating... Chaos or divorce. I mean, you've probably seen all forms of uh, kind of the negative side of this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Lynn Margulies, uh, and we'll come back and continue this discussion. I know she's got some great tips for what the woman can be doing in this situation, for what the husband can be doing um, to uh, hopefully, you know, establish a healthier space. Um, and, and instead of just falling prey to the, the system that uh, that will remain and keep them dysfunctional. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world, or at least helping you find a way to get to the good in the world. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us from Massachusetts, Dr. Lynn Margulies. She's a psychologist and former Harvard Medical School instructor. She's in private practice in Boston, specializing in treating families, relationships, and particularly men. She's also a contributing writer for Psych Central and other public publications. You can find out more about her work by visiting her website, drlynnmargulies.com. drlynnmargulies.com. Uh, Dr. Lynn, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Pat. You bet. Talk to me about, um, just give us some tips. What are some things, if, if we see this going on in our family, if we see this pattern um, and it's ruining your marriage. It's it's you know it's impacting your your relationship with your in laws. I'm I'm assuming the first thing you ought to do is get some counseling. Right, right. It is very hard to recognize what's going on on your own. So the first thing is, so Matt, if if, if I were to ask you, who do you think is in the middle in this situation? Because getting the configuration correct, yeah, is the most important thing. And if you have that right you'll know what to do as the guy. So if I were to ask you, Who's in the, who do you think is in the middle? Um, the middle, uh, okay. My natural instinct would say the husband, but it's not. It's maybe the mom. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now most people, so the guy involved in this says he's in the middle. So you imagine him, you know, the, the his mom and his wife pulling at him and they both, want to be the most special and he feels like i don't know what to do so if you get the configuration right you recognize that the couple is they're the central force so the two of them are are a unit and then the mom has come between them Mm. so that's because the adult son has left the door open to their relationship and allowed that to happen. This isn't the mom's fault. Mom may be difficult, yeah, but it's his. He's a grown-up man. He opened the door, right? Exactly. And usually, I, I get couples in the in the early on in their relationship, which is the best because if you set boundaries early on, it's much easier because you've set a precedent. But you can change things. So, so the first thing is realizing the configuration. So you're not a help as for the for the adult son. You're not a helpless victim, and you have to be on to yourself. Yeah. You have to know, first of all, the goal can't be to make everyone happy, and you have to have courage and 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 start taking charge. So you have to know what are your inst- what are your natural instincts. Your natural instincts are going to be to. I mean, it's a very predictable pattern, which is a good thing yeah. because predictable patterns you can plan for. So the biggest mistake is wishful thinking and thinking, you know, everything's going to work out. When if you predict how it's going to play out, it's not going to work out unless you change the That's configuration. Right. Yeah, you have to choose to reform this. Exactly. So you can anticipate predictable situations and danger zones. So around the holidays or any conversation with your mom has to be planned for and keeping your wife in the loop is the most important thing. Always keeping your wife in the loop. But if you're just accommodating your wife now and you're getting into the same problem with her, so marriages are at risk because it's not just that you haven't set a boundary with your mom, but you're at risk for getting into a similar dynamic with your wife, hmm. where now you're now you're accommodating her, 
and doing what she says. So it's the same thing. Even if you set a boundary, that's that's going to be just as bad. Yeah. So. Um, so see, so you got you really have to, you have to just set strong boundaries. You have to make sure that we do close doors, but we also don't just enable my wife to do the same thing. Um, and and right, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's um, it's interesting because the couple that I was working with, um, when I pointed out, I saw them interacting, and I pointed out that she I said, "Who? How do you think your husband is feeling right now? The the way that you're acting. Look at him. How do you think he's feeling?" And how do you think you're acting? And she said, I guess I'm, I'm being like his mom, mm. being like controlling like him. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she was a pretty healthy woman. So she, what's different than the mom is you can't expect the mom to come around and apologize. That, that's not a realistic goal. What's more important. So, so the, the woman was able to apologize and say, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be that way. But the most interesting thing was that her husband then immediately tried to rescue her from her feelings. He was like, no, 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 that's okay, you know. And right. that's the essence of the problem, where he cannot bear her feeling bad. And that's like a tiny drop. You know, her yeah. feeling bad is way different than his mom feeling bad. So usually it's going to be much more intense. Usually there's withholding and not talking to him and blaming so he has to be able to learn to bear Mm. another person's feelings and and stay separate so we practice that in the session it's like okay just stay with that and it's okay for her to feel disappointed and and if and he can even say to his mom if she gets really mad i'm really sorry that you feel disappointed i know you miss me but you know, this is this is the boundary that we have to set. So we're coming for one night instead of two, and let's right. you know, let's try to enjoy our time. And if she stays mad, to so just you, you can you can ignore that, but you can't ignore it when she bad mouths your wife. So by omission, you're polluting it. Mm. So you always have to take a stand. Yeah. Um, it, it really. Also, I was just going to say it is such a tangled. Uh, web. We have only about 30 more seconds, Lynn. What would you say is the one thing that we can all, I mean, we, we should go get help if this is going on, but what's one thing that we could do immediately um, that might make a big difference? I, I think for both the, both the man and the woman, both the adult son and his wife, to stay aligned with each other. So for, for the wife to realize, to, to not collude and mm. to be supportive and realize that this is really hard for him. And for, for the man to realize this is good for him, not just his marriage, but to be able to stand up and think about what, what he needs and wants. It has to be his own it can't just be what either person is yeah. telling him to do. That's beautiful. And, and Lynn, again, they can find They go to your website, drlynnmargulies.com. Um, you can get a lot of the information, but you can also just go to the Psych Central uh, website uh, at Psych Central and look up competing family loyalties in the holiday season and read the in-depth article. It's so powerful, and it will give you at least a, a, another great start, plus a couple of uh, lists of tips for men, tips for women. We appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Lynn Margulies helping us, uh, you know, hopefully do some healing around the holiday time. But start to see the pattern. If you see that going on in your relationship, you got you to gotta nip it in the bud, folks. 
We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. And when we come back, we'll be talking to our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Nobody needs to die. It might be the day that it runs dry, but nobody needs to die. Hey, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation and catch up on some of the big news that hit this weekend. Our good buddies, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, what big news are you talking about, Matt? Uh, Tom Brady lost again. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Eagles. Can you believe that? Tom Brady knocked out. Unbelievable. Yeah, okay, that pretty much wraps it up from here. So, um. <laughs> Holy cow. What were you guys thinking Friday? Because you then had to sit on it for two days before you could talk about it. Well, no, we didn't oh. because uh-uh. we had to re-air on BYU TV at 4 p.m. So Jerem Jordan had the day off, got a text at 3.20-something, and... He came in and solo hosted instead of us re-airing that BYU Sports Nation. Are you a new kidding? Live show. Huge. Hosted for like 35 or 40 minutes on his own until I could get back to the building. And then uh, we finished up the hour. We did another live show. That is amazing. That's what we do. That, Jerem, oh, Jerem's now talking. He wasn't even talking. But Hello. Now, it's because you had that big weekend. See, that's the power of then, then you were able to go live and address it live. Yeah. Jerem's trying to save his voice. He's got a cop drop in his mouth as well. Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, it just tastes good. For those that don't know, he's going to the University of Virginia. He just had a press conference about an hour and a half ago that went for about an hour uh, where he addressed the media there. So he will coach the bowl game for BYU uh, against Utah. That was announced yesterday that BYU would face Utah. So the storylines rich rich, uh, in this final game against the Utes would be the 100th win for Bronco at BYU, by the way. And Utes are going to try to stay ranked, right? So they've got to win to stay ranked. They're 22, BYU just outside the AP Top 25. So two teams in a similar situation, uh, both 9-3, and three, both in the 20s, uh, respectively, in voting, if you will. It's going to be exciting. A lot of the tickets are gone already. BYU fans kind of gobbled those up, thinking it might be Utah or USC already. Mm. And so the cheapest ticket uh, that I found this morning, this is as of about an hour and a half, two hours ago, uh, for the Las Vegas Bowl on StubHub was uh, 100. Let's see, where is it? I got to find this. Make sure I'm correct. $195. Holy Do you cow. know the cheapest Cotton Bowl ticket? That's Michigan State, Alabama. Ooh, playoff game. $1,000. Non standing room only. 172 It is more expensive Holy to buy cow. a ticket on StubHub to the Vegas Bowl than it is Alabama, Michigan State. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's crazy. Demand, man. It's Vegas, man. It's Vegas, baby. You All the fans are trying to get Christmas paid for. Yeah, totally. Well, this did this surprise you guys, the Bronco move? Shocked. Absolutely. I was stunned. I mean, that's out of the blue. We He had applied for or interviewed right. with or expressed interest in UCLA, Oregon State, and Wisconsin the past couple of years. So yeah. not a huge shocker, um, but the timing was a shock. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's going, he's going as far away from... BYU as it, he can geographically. To the east. One of his sons, tr- he said, treated it like it was a foreign country. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I could see Holly. (laughs) I could see Holly loving, you know, living back there, and because they can still have their horses and do all of that. Hey, what are you going to do? By the way, you had you had a segment with. I don't know. Still going to talk to her? Yeah, I'm dying to talk to her now, and just like, come on, Holly, what's going on? But yeah, I think I I think we could easily do it from there, and then we'll just get the the wife of the new coach, and we'll have a little showdown between wives. Well, who is going to be the new coach? You know what? That's the next. Enormous question. Because the pool, it's a tiny little pool, isn't it? You want to know the realistic list yes. of who yes. it could be? Six guys. Six guys. Okay. Okay. So you have to be an active, uh, active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. Okay? So there are only so many coaches at a high level, right? And there are dark horses always. But here, here's the list of six that we think and that are being discussed. We produced this list on Friday. Okay. Uh, people have you know, affirmed this list Col- uh, publicly, the, the discussion. Kalani Sataki. Yeah. Lance Anderson. Okay, so defensive coordinator at Oregon State and Stanford. Robert and I, current BYU offensive coordinator. Kyle Whittingham, head coach at Utah. Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator at the, of the Seattle Seahawks. And Ken Yamatulolo, the head coach of Navy. Mm. Those are the six, we think, yeah. are the legit competitors for this head coaching spot. Now, apparently Bronco recommended somebody that's already on staff. You'd have to think that was Robert and I. You'd think that was that. But they don't always do that, right? But yeah. Bronco was uh, Bronco and Lavelle were both uh, on staff when they were hired. Correct. Hmm. And Whitting- there's uh, no way Whittingham would. Well, do Gary it. Croton was not. No, Gary, Gary Croton, Croton was, was not from the outside. Right, outsider. He was an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh, for the Chicago Bears. Plus, you've got they've got the problem is. Like Whittingham, I'm assuming Bevel and um, yeah, Whittingham and Bevel, they're already making a lot of money. This would be a pay cut, wouldn't it? Yeah, they're getting paid for sure. Now, yeah, and therein lies the question is, um, you know, will BYU match it? Will the donors match that Mm -hmm. um, and make it happen? Because in the past, uh, you know, they they had tried to do that to get certain candidates. So we'll we'll see what what uh, Mm. Salt Lake. Mm. You know, comes up with what BYU comes up with, what the donors come up with. This is going to be a great show today. And I, th- yeah, and I think that this timing will be quicker than you think. Really, I don't think it's inconceivable to think that by the end of the week, BYU has a new head coach. Unbelievable. But you know what? How weird if it's Sataki, because they're going to be playing in well, the Sataki's bowl game at Oregon State. Oh yeah, he no, went to, up to he Oregon. Was at Utah. Yeah. So he's been That's gone right. for a year now. Yeah. But I mean, he doesn't Anderson. have a bowl game to plan. But he's a great recruiter. So is Anderson, right? They're great yes. recruiters. Anderson's so. picked up four recruits from Utah that are going to play at Stanford. Holy cow! For next year or after their missions. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's prepping for the uh, what the, the Rose, Rose bowl. bowl. Kyle Whittingham's prepping for BYU. Daryl Bevel's prepping for whoever the Seahawks are playing this week. And Kenny Matalolo's preparing for Army this week. Yeah, Ken would be great too. Holy cow! If I'm you saw you, Meet the Mormons, you know who Ken Niamatulolo yeah. is. If he you was want, if you want to light off the atomic bomb of social media, Kyle Whittingham agrees to come to BYU before the Las Vegas Bowl. Against <laughs> Holy <BYU>. cow. <laughs> yeah. That he would just, be fun He coaches see. Utah and then walks over to the other side and changes his shit. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> this can is you imagine? Crazy. Oh, my goodness. Did And just, we, I got to let you guys go, but did, do you think, did, did Tom Holmo, did he have any idea? He knew on Tuesday. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was yeah, a shocker. Bronco, Bronco respects Tom, and Tom respects Bronco. They have a good relationship to where Tom knew that he was interviewing for a job. 
Mm. And and Bronco didn't tell him which job, but that it was Power Five. And then once Bronco had made the decision, then he told Tom. Then Tom had a three-day head start. Tom actually came on our show, what was it, Wednesday? And he knew. Poker face. Oh, he did. Yeah, I remember you guys talked about him coming on. Guess what? Tom Homo knows a lot of things that he doesn't discuss pretty consistently. Maybe Tom Homo will coach. (laughs) That is a dark horse (laughs) thought. Yeah. No, he wouldn't want that. He's got a good gig. Why mess that up? I wouldn't rule it out. Really? Yeah. He's been a head football coach. I know he has. Division one level. I know. Struggled a bit, but. I wouldn't say it's impossible. He's a good guy. I, I might. That, that's He's a, a great athletic director. Whoever it is is going to step into a tough gig. I mean, I get Ooh. it's great. I get it's wonderful, but it's a tough gig. And that's why I think Bronco's so happy to move on. Um, okay, cool. Guys, that's going to be a great show. Uh, anything else on the show today? Or are you just going to only just. Alexa only... Gray, women's volleyball, then mm. Sweet 16 for the fourth yeah. straight year. Amazing. Trevor Maddich of ESPN will discuss uh, Bronco to Virginia, the new head coach, uh, Big 12 expansion rumor, and. BYU-Utah-Vegas. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, man. We'll keep it up. And uh, don't break anything, okay? This is a very scary time right now. Just just be normal. Be calm. Oh, everything's cool. Don't break anything no, else. No, super calm. Yeah. yeah. Good job, guys. Have a great show. Thanks, Matt. Knock them dead. Man. That's cool. That is a lot. Man, they jumped in at the last minute to have a show. Think about that. Like, what are the odds that I would come in to do a show on a day off? I guess I would. I mean, if it was a big deal, I'd come in. Like if Ben, like if you had like sold a lot of ice cream, I'd come in. Really? I'm going to write that down. Nah, probably not. I really wouldn't. Man, it really is. And I, I love Bronco. I love Bronco. And uh, again, when we have him on our show, we just talk about his life. He's such a good man. And I'm not, I don't know the football X's and O's, but I do know they had some pretty good records. And I think he's a fantastic guy. And I'm going to, if Holly, if that means that we can't have Holly anymore, I'm ticked. And I think this is a bad idea. But Holly's, I think she's, I can already tell she's going to love it. And it's hard to imagine being, leaving and going to another country like the Mendenhall boys think. Oh, it's hard. Uh, anyway, um, again, today is cotton candy day. I'm not a big cotton candy guy, but... Um, you know, who is? There is a really interesting story, though, about a South Dakota ghost town that's up for sale. If you're looking to buy a town, the town of Sweat is once again for sale. This time, the asking price is a lot cheaper. Sweat is the home of about six acres of land, an empty house reputed to be haunted, and a closed bar. It went on the market in June of 2014 for about $400,000, generated interest around the world, But three written offers fell through for uh, various reasons. The town southeast of Rapid City is back on the market at a reduced price of $250,000. So you can now pick up some sweat for about $250,000. (laughs) Anyway, uh, in 2011, a Philippines-based church bought most of the town of Scenic, and they paid $700,000 for it. But I personally would rather have Scenic than sweat. You know what I mean? I've never been into sweat. I don't know. Just drives me crazy. On occasion. No, not even on occasion. Hey, uh, our hero of the day is, uh, you know, we like to end with a hero story, is is an American businessman named Shlomo Rechnitz. Rechnitz. He's a businessman that bought dinner for 400 soldiers on a layover in an Irish 
Airport. Listen to this. On his way to visit Israel with his family, a Los Angeles businessman came upon 400 U.S. soldiers preparing to eat their paper sack dinners um, in Shannon, Ireland. And he decided he wanted to honor them with a good, warm meal instead. As the regular passengers and friends were all dining at various trendy restaurants, entrepreneur and philanthropist Shlomo Rechnitz uh, approached the commander and told him he wanted to treat the servicemen to the same kind of thing. At first, the commander said it wasn't necessary, but Shlomo insisted, and the commander announced to all of the soldiers that they could eat a meal at any restaurant up to $50. After the servicemen ate, the commander asked Shlomo if uh, if Shlomo would share with all of them why he wanted to do this. Addressing the men, Rechnitz said, You guys risk your lives to protect me and to protect my family. If I, go, uh, if I get to go out and see a whole bunch of Army soldiers and Marines, it's something that makes me proud. I'm on my way to Israel now, and you guys protect them too. I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. So that's it. Shlomo Rechnitz, Rechnitz American businessman, sees... A lot of soldiers, 400 on a layover, and he buys dinner for all of them? Are you kidding me? Hero of the day, folks. Again, if you have the resources, buy him dinner. If you don't, just stand up and applaud. Thank him when you see him in the airport. You are protected uh, by these soldiers that are willing to put their life uh, on the line. So that's it, folks. Until tomorrow, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Hoping uh, that we can help you see the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. Look out for each other. We'll be back again tomorrow. Take care. We'll talk tomorrow.